0: This summer Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary.
1: Take a break from your 9-to-5 for 9 holes of golf. Four. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card, Three, seven. Oh, bingo. or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floatie. Cool this summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
2: Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
3: Initialize sequence.
4: Welcome to The
2: Baldcast. A
4: production of John Canzano's Baldface Truth.
5: <laughs> B
4: F. Now built by high caliber Millwrights. In for John Kinsano. Here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the Bald Face
1: Truth. That's right. Welcome into the Bald Face Truth with John Kinsano. He is on the ground. He boots on the ground in Colfax, Washington, in the courtroom where the uh, the court hearing is underway. The pivotal court hearing, Washington State and Oregon State against the world. Is really what it's all about, but really it's against the departing institutions from the now defunct uh, Pac-12. But Oregon State and Washington State trying to get governing control of the conference. We'll bring you up to date developments as they unfold with John Consano uh, in the courtroom in Whitman County. I'm Judah Nube, Stephen Vaughn across the glass. What's up, Stephen?
6: What's going on, Judah? Man, it's uh, kind of a kind of a crazy day, man. It's crazy. I, you know what? I, I was watching some of the courtroom stuff. I've never watched any of the courtroom stuff before. It was yeah. very, it was a very interesting thing in
1: there. Yeah, not quite like uh, Judge Judy. No, it or, would be, it would be really funny if it was though. Yeah, well, it would be funny. I peered into the Zoom a little bit ago. I saw a Kizano in there. I mean, he's not hard to spot if you know what I mean. But I saw Kazano in there. I think he was I feel like that was in, a bald joke. It was, but it, 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 I think he was sitting next to uh, Wilner. But I couldn't really tell. I think Wilner got pulled over for speeding in Colfax today. That was me reading between the lines. He tweeted advice. He said, by the way, anybody covering the courtroom uh, hearing in Colfax today, be advised, don't go one mile an hour over the speed limit. They will get you. So justice clearly being served on the roads. We'll see if it's being served inside the courtroom as well. So Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Kadzano with John in Colfax. But... Before we get to the rest of the show, we were able to catch up with John, and we got a, a little bit of news from him um, laying out just kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the uh, hearing that's going on in Colfax today. So before he jumped on his plane and flew all the way to, uh, to Whitman County... He was able to spend some time uh, with me and you, Stephen, kind of laying out the big picture of what's going on with this hearing. And then we peppered him with some questions about some of the other bigger topics going on, including tonight's college football playoff rankings uh, that come out at 6 o'clock. Which, by the way, normally they're out at 4 o'clock. They're out at 6 o'clock tonight. I think it's that college basketball you know, in the halftime show between double headers of those games, Classic. is
6: that what it is? Some, yeah, Champions Classic. You're a big
1: college hoops guy. Yeah,
6: it's, it's a couple of big games on tonight for college hoops. So. Yeah, I, I don't mind it, but you know, it's kind of fun that they do it because, or else no one else, no, no one watches college basketball. Yeah. That's the thing.
1: <laughs> That's the thing about regular season college basketball. Although I will say, I did watch Arizona Duke the other day. It was that was awesome. That was on Friday night last week. I think that that was a lot of fun. That got me into it. Uh, but without any further ado, this is uh, our conversation with John Cazzano, the namesake of this show, uh, leading into some of the uh, the courtroom hearing today and also some of his topics on Dan Lanning shutting down A&M and the future Jonathan Smith at Oregon State and the matchups on the field with the Ducks going to Arizona State and the Beavers hosting the Huskies at Reaser Stadium. Uh, we started off by just asking John to lay out the big picture of what's going on in Colfax today.
2: Well, I think the big, the biggest thing is that it's a big picture question for for fans that are tuning in and wanting to know what's going to go on with Oregon State and Washington State, you know, next season and beyond. And and there's so much tied into it because it's Jonathan Smith and his plan. Does is he part of the Oregon State program? Does he like uh, sort of the outcome that Oregon State and Washington State get? You know, are, are they playing as a conference at two? Are they? Being forced to join the Mountain West. You know, how dire is the circumstance for Oregon and Oregon State? We get a a big piece of that answer in court today. And, you know, Judge Gary Leiby, he ruled from the bench on the temporary restraining order. And so I think that, you know, we talked to the attorney on yesterday's show who said he would you know not be surprised if Judge Leiby issued another decision from the bench because the briefs sort of lay out the case of the 10 departing members who are saying basically, hey, we're real real nervous about Oregon State and Washington State, just taking all the money, and then it lays out the case of Oregon State and Washington State who are saying, hey, you know, these schools all sort of indicated that they were leaving the conference and they gave notice of withdrawal and they announced it on Twitter and they went on, um, you know, and issued news releases and held news conferences and look at the schedules out, they're definitely leaving, like that's notice, so you know the judges had a chance to read all of those briefs. I've read them. Um, you know it's all legalese, but <laughs> I've read it. And so the judge may come into the courtroom just with some questions, and it may not take you know the three hours that they have uh, you know set aside from you know essentially uh, until five o'clock tonight to to make a ruling.
1: How weird was it to see some of your involvement, your texts with George Klyovkov, etc., in the discovery process? Is that is that weird at all for you? A little
2: bit, because you know, when you're te- anytime you're texting anybody, you don't expect <laughs> everybody to read it. But it also kind of demonstrates, like I said all along, you know, I'm sourced. I'm talking to the people who are in the room, and so I wasn't surprised when I heard there was going to be discovery at Washington. And, you know, involving the Pac-12, I wasn't surprised that, like, my correspondence with Anna Marie Kasse at Washington would show up or George Klyovkov text messages would show up. And I think if we extended that to Arizona, Arizona State, um, Oregon, Oregon State, you know, you're going to find that I'm going to pop up in these things. And, you know, I'm never texting anything, like, personal or anything, but it's questions that I had for Klyovkov about the governance of the conference, who is on his board. Um, you know, how much money is left in the conference. And certainly the uh, attorneys for Oregon and Oregon State found that very interesting because at one at one point, George Kliovkov and I are texting the day after that schools all left. Oregon Washington left. Everybody left. It was just four remaining schools. And Klyovkov texts to me, I have only four board members. And the attorneys for Oregon State and Washington State were like, the commissioner's saying it. <laughs> And and then you know I, I went on to ask Klyovkov how much money is is left in the conference and people may remember I wrote a column the day after saying hey there's a treasure chest here of like 400 plus million dollars that's what I was talking about because Klyovkov says via text there's 420 million dollars due this year and then there's a bunch of money due beyond with NCAA tournament revenues and whatnot and it's it's you know it's not it's weird for me to see myself pop up but i wasn't that surprised because when i heard there was going to be discovery i'm like you know what if they start asking the right questions i think i'm going to be in there
6: it's a good lesson to uh always be aware of what you tweet or (laughs) social media or text they're watching they're always watching you john you got to be careful what you're doing out there um i want to i want to ask you about this because you know this has been such a long journey right and you've been on top of it since the very beginning when usc and ucla leave now it kind of feels like it's going to be the conclusion, but it's also the it's also a rebirth of Jonathan Smith and if he leaves. How big of a decision do you think it is today is going to go into, the, go into Jonathan
2: Smith's decision to stay at Oregon State or leave Oregon State and look for somewhere else? It's a big factor, I think, and people who don't acknowledge it, I think, are being naive because if you put yourself in Jonathan Smith's shoes, he's at Oregon State, his alma mater. He's competing at the top of the conference. He's probably got clearly one of the top three teams in the conference. There's a big, I think, a gap after that to the next group. And he's been there and competes and can reasonably think about a conference championship. And now the conference as we knew it is imploding, and he's going to have offers. And so the decision that comes out of today's hearing definitely impacts his thinking. You know, is, is there, are there enough money and enough governance for Oregon State and Washington State to go, hey, we can rebuild this conference from the inside out. We can potentially add schools like San Diego State, Colorado State, and guess what? We have a war chest to do it from. It, it's a different equation because I think what Oregon State and Washington State would like to do is they're not going to bring back UCLA and USC and Oregon and Washington and everybody in one swoop, but I think what they'd like to do is they'd like to rebuild the conference and then position it as – This is the fifth best conference in America, and with the playoff expanding to 12 teams, this conference champion in most years is going to make the playoff, because I think Oregon State feels like it can win that conference, and it can get to the playoff, and I think that does change Jonathan Smith's thinking, rather than, sorry, Oregon State, Washington State, you lose, it's relegation to the Mountain West.
1: So that's a thought on Jonathan Smith's future. How about the future of the other coach at University of Oregon, and Dan Lanning, and of course, last night he was shooting down those rumors that are going around about the Texas A&M vacancy. What's your read on, on Landing's position at, at Oregon and his future? Is he just tied in to the Eugene area for the long term?
2: I think it it's without doubt that he is tied in. His kids want to graduate from high school. You know, he and his wife moved seven times in 13 years. It was too, too many moving boxes. You know, I think... They were looking for stability. I think I have heard that in a multitude of ways from people in the inner circle, including his parents, that, you know, his dad said, hey, you know, he, I would not be surprised if he fulfills every day of that contract if they'll have him. When he was originally hired, they gave him an extension. Lanning himself told me he wants to see his kids grow up there. I mean, I don't think it's like Mario Cristobal or Willie Taggart. I don't think it's like Chip Kelly. I don't, I, I don't think that. There's any doubt that there's no alma mater for him to go to. You know, it's not William Jewell College is not calling Dan Lanning home and and there's there's nowhere to go there. And the call of the NFL might appeal to him someday, but he's thirty seven, and this is in front of him now, and this is what he's always wanted. And I think you got to pay attention to who somebody is. and when they tell you something, uh, you know, I think you got to listen to him. And I think Dan Lanning, in a multitude of ways, is saying, I want to be here. This is the place I want to be. It's my forever place.
6: Well, you look at, you know, the, you talk about the focus of Dan Lanning, the focus is this year. Uh, college football playoff rankings, the third set of rankings come out later tonight. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? What, what are you thinking the Ducks are going to land? Are the beeves going to crack the top ten and make that Washington-Oregon State matchup in Corvallis, a top ten matchup where game day decided we're not coming? Uh, I can't believe that happened again. I'm, you know, I'm ran about that all day, but... I mean, it's just where where you think of the ducks and the beavs land, and is it a big rankings this week, or is it kind of still uh, kind of how it's been all year? Everything's in front of you.
2: I agree with you on game day. It's just ridiculous. I think it's it's such a cowardly move by ESPN to not bring that show in and have that conversation in Corvallis about, especially when it's going to be a top ten matchup. Like you know, how can you how can you not have it be there? It's a ten and zero Washington team. It's a slap in the face to Washington. It's a slap in the face to Oregon State. Slap in the face to the Pacific Time Zone. It's just you know, hey, the Jonas Brothers, and we're going to Virginia. It's not convenient. They're going to have the trucks go from Athens, Georgia, to Virginia, you know, and they're going to send Kirk Herb Street on a flight five hours after the game to call the game on ABC. This doesn't work. It's just it's the hypocrisy of going to see a Sun Belt conference game while while you know everybody's going. Hey, the role of TV and the dismantling of the Pac-12 is a real thing. ESPN should have been and would have been in its heyday at the center of that conversation and instead they're running like cowards and they're going, we, we just don't want to deal with the drama. We don't want to be in Corvallis and anywhere but Corvallis, guys, I could just hear that meeting, you know, and so they just said, How about the sunbelt? Okay, let's go. So, you know, that's going on and then I think the playoff rankings, it's it's gonna be a totally different story because the committee will not think like the T V executives. They can't ignore Oregon State they can't go hey that game doesn't matter that that is a big game and i i'm expecting that washington stays at 5 okay i think washington will stay there at 5 as tempted as people are to maybe slip oregon in front of washington i think there's probably some consideration of that but you know given especially given the way that oregon beat utah and then washington struggled a little bit against utah and still beat them but struggled a little bit but i thought washington played well enough to justify being at 5, and Oregon will stay at 6. But the question will will come at, you know, formerly number 12 Oregon State, I do think, is going to bump up to about 10, just like they did in the AP poll. It'll be the highest-ranked Oregon State team in playoff history, in the playoff ranking history. But, you know, it sets up beautifully for both Washington and Oregon because they both get a chance to get validated or to be exposed by a top-10 team. Pac-12's got three of the 10 best teams in the country, I think the playoff committee is going to say that tonight.
1: Okay, I'm, I want to read this Joel Clatt tweet to you about a hypothetical college football playoff. And just see, this is devil's advocate for the argument that Oregon controls its own destiny for the playoff. Because as much as I want to believe that, and I, I do believe that. What about this scenario, John? An undefeated Big Ten champion. An undefeated Florida State. And then two spots for the following. Twelve and one Oregon, winners of the Pac-12. Twelve and one Texas, winners of the Big 12, meaning Texas runs the table. Twelve one Alabama. Remember, they only have one loss. They win the SEC. If they beat Georgia in the uh, SEC title game, they are they're already in the SEC title game. Twelve and one Georgia at that point, and twelve one Washington, and twelve and eleven and one Ohio State or Michigan in that regard. The loser of that game is it as much of a shoe in? as we're making it out to be, that Oregon controls their playoff destiny in your mind? I,
2: th- I, I still think the Pac-12 champion controls its destiny. I think the mess will come, because I actually think that Pac-12 champion would be above the four spot. Mm. I think that Pac-12 champion would probably be sitting three or better. If it's Washington and it's undefeated, could be number two. So I think they remove themselves from the fray if you have some of that chaos that's going on with – you know, 2-1 uh, lost teams out of the SEC or whatever, you know, else you want to kind of dream up. But I I think, um, you know, it just sort of underscores the idea we needed more than four teams in the playoff right. all along. And how bad was it? How lame is it that they never got there? Because this would be the year where if you had a 12-team playoff, like, you could almost say, like, the Pac-12 might get three. You know, Oregon State could be in it. And, you know, Washington and Oregon could be in it. And... As it stands, you know, Oregon State's still got some of its destiny in its own hands. It's got, you know, could potentially beat Washington and beat Oregon. It would need Arizona to, to have a loss, another loss, to avoid a multi-team two-loss tie that Oregon State might not win. But it's so messy everywhere. I think it's just great for football and great for college sports that you've got, like, maybe, uh, maybe six or seven teams that could make a case for being in the top four. And you know i i hope that the committee sees it how i do but i just don't think i think if oregon or washington win out they should be or oregon i think would be the number 3 team might be 2 in under your scenario and i think washington would definitely be 2 could even be number 1 right. if it's undefeated and has wins over what uh a utah team that was in the top 25 a oregon state team that was at number 10 and then beats oregon potentially in the in the uh pac twelve championship game. I mean, how do you deny that team from being one or two in the in the final rankings?
6: You talk about that It's like I think it's very important tonight where Oregon State is ranked because I, I'm with you. I think they should be you know ten probably in the in the nation the College Bowl Playoff. But if for some reason the committee ranks them a little lower, that's they're setting up their excuse of okay, well we're getting ready to you know eliminate one of the pac twelve schools if they lose or if Washington is to lose like we're going to put Alabama ahead of them. So I'm with you because if you end the season and you end up playing Oregon State on the road, beating them, and then going to the Pac-12 title game against Oregon, like, that is a monster schedule. Think about this, John. I want to ask you about this real quick. If there was a 12-team playoff, how live is Oregon State to win that thing? Because, like, you look at, you know, if you're they're 10, they play probably a Florida State, an Ohio State, something like that. That's a winnable ball game. I mean,
2: how awesome would a 12-team playoff be this year? Yeah, I think uh, it would... It would just be, you know, it's not quite March Madness, but man. Because there's no great team this year. No, but it's wide open. And that's why I kept saying, I was watching Oregon play USC the other night, and it struck me, and it wasn't like a flash of lightning, but it was just kind of over the first three quarters of the game. Oregon's good enough to win it all. And, you know, I haven't felt that way since Marcus Mariota was in uniform. Oregon's good enough to win it all. Washington, Washington could win it all. And I actually think you're right. I think it was a 12 team playoff. Nobody's going to, want to play Oregon State in that 12 team playoff. Not you know. I could just see all you know the SEC runner up and the Big Ten runner up going. Uh, uh-uh, uh we don't want that game. But that's what would it, that's what would happen.
1: Last thing here for you. And what are your early thoughts on the respective matchups this weekend? Beavers UW. Beavers now the home favorite and uh, the Kenny Dillingham, Dan Lanning, Bo Nix reunion uh, down in Arizona State.
2: I think Arizona State's going to have some fun with that game because they've got nothing to lose. They're a huge underdog. But Kenny Dillingham's season's already been made. I mean, he's 3-7. and seven. I didn't think he could win a Pac-12 game. He's got two wins in the Pac-12. He's not going to be in the basement, but they're in over their heads against Oregon, and then the only shot they have is that Oregon overlooks them a little bit. Uh, I just don't think Arizona State can get to more than about 17, 14 in that game, and I think Oregon will be in the 30s. So I think they win that going away. The the Oregon State-Washington game, you know, home favorites, they're lethal. We've talked about this. And I actually think Oregon State matches up offensively in a way against Washington that will give Washington some problems. I think this game's going to be in the 30s with both teams, low to mid-30s, and I think it's going to be really close. And so I, and here's the thing, like for Beaver fans watching that game, I think you're going to have some bad moments in that game. I think Michael Penix Jr. and uh, Adunze are going to have, they're going to hook up on like a 70 yard touchdown pass at some point of that game. You're going to get beat down the field. There's going to be some moments where Oregon State fans go, oh man, this is just bad. Look at what we just gave. Because I don't think Oregon State's secondary is good enough to not give up a big play or two or three. But the totality of that game, I think Damian Martinez rushes for 150, 170. I think Oregon State scores in the 30s, and I think they can hold Washington in the 30s. I think it's a really close game, and I think the spread's about right. Uh, but, you know, Beavers, 17 out of 18 at home in their last 18. Uh, their only loss was by 3 to USC and Caleb Williams. Um, you know, I, I'm leaning Beavers in a in an upset, and I feel crazy for saying it, but... I'm, uh, I'm not surprised that the line flipped from Washington being a favorite to Washington being an underdog. That is a really hard place to play, and Oregon State's different there.
6: Do you do you think that Oregon State is the second-best team in the Pac-12 right now or Oregon's the first? Does the state of Oregon have the top Let's two just teams think about this. right now they, in the Pac-12? I, I think we
2: said it at the beginning of the year, but I want you to consider this. Let's give Washington, like, 15 seconds of credit, okay? They're undefeated. <laughs> That's hard to do. They actually won on the field, yeah. I mean, it's got to give them some credit. Bloody November was, what, Utah, USC, Oregon State, and the Apple Cup. They might run it all. And we cannot say that they're not one of the best two teams if they do that. But how different would this conversation be if Dan Lanning had kicked a couple field goals at Husky Stadium and Oregon was the undefeated team and Washington had one loss? I think we would all be saying... We think Oregon State's the second-best team. We think Oregon State's the second-best team. Let's see it on the field. Well, and how different would it be if Oregon
6: State could have beaten Washington State or Arizona? They had one yeah. loss at this point.
2: Oregon State got Washington State at the wrong time. That was the only way, yeah. way to yeah. do that. And, and you know, the Arizona loss, Arizona's good. Like, you know, Arizona could be 9-1 and if they'd beaten Mississippi State in overtime, beaten USC in overtime. Like, those two teams, I think, are just really good. It shows how good this conference is. I, I think— you know, I think I, I at the beginning of the year, I said Arizona could be a top half of the conference team. They were the team I expected to have a bounce back. Jed Fish talked on media day about, you know, his defense, and he found a quarterback who's a little more reliable than Jaden DeLora. And so Arizona deserves a lot of credit too, but I would put this conference against any conference in the country, one through 12, let them play head-to-head, and I think they would win seven, eight games going head-to-head. They would be determined the best deepest conference in the country
1: all right john you're one of a kind thanks so much uh for taking the time to join us right before you uh you jump on the plane for colfax and best of luck with all the courtroom coverage we'll look forward to checking in with you potentially later on in the show and if not reading all of your coverage at john thanks a lot
2: thanks Phyllis. have a great show it's gonna be uh, i mean you have so much to talk about that's
1: crazy that was our conversation with john canzano uh before he jumped on the plane covered the uh courtroom hearing today in colfax Uh, Stephen Vaughn and Chudanubi here with you on the show today. We'll check in with our Beavers insider, TJ Matthewson at the top of the 4 o'clock hour, and Bruce Barnum joins us midway through the 5 o'clock hour. Plus, once an hour, we're going to give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to WWE Raw in January at Moda Center. You just got to tune in at basically the 45 of each hour. 3.45, 4.45, 5.45. We'll be giving you... Three different chances to win a pair of tickets to WWE Raw. I know, Steven, you're uh, jacked up about that, being the WWE fan that you are. Well, right? back, you I mean, are, right? <laughs> I,
6: you know, back in the day, back in the day. A shot you in the dark. Know, I was. I was a big wrestling fan back in the attitude era, you know, when I'm mm. in like, you know, fifth and fourth grade. Uh, you know, but you know, my brother still watches wrestling, so he'll he'll he gives me the storylines. I, I know what's
1: going I'm on. I'm always impressed by how many wrestling fans are in Portland and the uh, the deep wrestling history in this market. So it's it's the market, man. It's, it's the, market. the market, man. It's the market. I, j- I just got back from a trip to Boston, so I got that little. Accent that uh, sneaks up from time to time, but it is the market without question. So we'll give you a chance to win uh, a pair of tickets to WWE Raw coming up later in the show. Don't miss your chance to do that. When we come back, what did Dan Landing say last night? What does it mean? Boy, I know Duck fans were uh, pumping their fists, and Dan Landing nailed it with his answers, shooting down the rumors that he was going to replace Jimbo in College Station. We'll unpack that. We'll also give our predictions on what's going to happen in the College Football playoff rankings tonight. They're unveiled at 6 o'clock. You've got the Bald Face Truth, newbie and Vaughn, in for Kizano today on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network.
4: You've got the home of the truth.
1: Back to the Bald Face
4: Truth with John Konzano on 750 The Game.
7: Yeah, we talk about outside noise a lot in our program. Um, I guess the reality here is, one, our, our my name and uh, our program would never be in the, a topic of conversation for another school if, if we didn't have something here that everybody else wanted. And the reason we have something here uh, that everybody else wants, that's because of what our players, Our coaches, the support that exists here at Oregon have created. I think I've been really, really clear here since day one. Uh, Everything I want exists right here. I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I would be coaching somewhere else. Um, I've got unfinished business here. There's a lot that I want to accomplish here at Oregon. My number one priority is being elite um, here at Oregon. And we have the resources, the tools. Anybody that can't understand why you would want to be here at this place doesn't understand exactly what exists here, right? Like what I've said before, with a 13-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old, to be able to raise your uh, family in a community like this, to be able to compete for uh, championships and have the ability to get the resources you need. You know, a lot of coaches hang on to these moments and they don't do anything or don't say anything. One, because they don't want egg on their face when they decide to do something else. right? Two, because they're concerned about things that I'm not concerned about, like getting a better contract. Like, I'm taken care of extremely well here at Oregon. I have the resources I need here at Oregon to be really, really successful. I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by winning. I'm motivated by being elite here. Um, and our players deserve my complete focus. Uh, our fans deserve the best uh, product on the field. So it's outside noise. It didn't matter before. It doesn't matter now. I'll continue to say it to i blue in the face. I want to be here at Oregon. Uh, that hasn't changed. That won't change.
1: Boom. Dan Landing Monday night at his press conference. Welcome back into the show. Jude and Stephen Vaughn, in for John Cazano, who is uh, covering the courtroom hearing in Colfax, Washington, uh, today. We'll get you some updates from that momentarily, but Steven, uh, Dan Lanning making headlines. Jimbo gets fired at Texas A and M. after crushing Mississippi State fifty one to ten. Seventy six million dollar buyout, no problem. And the SEC, it just means more. It just took hours after Jimbo's firing for Twitter and other places on social media to start tying in Dan Landing's name to College Station. I have not seen a single coach more tied to that A&M job than I saw Dan Landing on Sunday. Did I get a little bit of PTSD from the Mario Cristobal saga? Sure. Did I get a little PTSD from the Willie T saga back in 2017? Sure, yeah, I got a little bit of that. But tell me if I'm wrong, Steven. I think Dan Lanning is just wired a little bit differently from those guys. I think Canzano's points are well made that he doesn't have that dream job a la Willie T in Florida State, a la Mario in Miami. And because of that and because of his family and all the Eugene ties and the fact that he's he's winning and he's got everything he needs at at Oregon, I don't see him leaving for this A&M job. And he certainly, of course, said as much pretty emphatically last night. Yeah, it seems a little. Maybe
6: maybe I'm naive on this one, Judah, but it seems it seems this time it's different, right? You know? <laughs> oh like God. the way that Lanny comes across, I think it, it seems more genuine than Mario Cristobal and Willie Taggart. Like they always kind of had that car salesman to him a little bit. I don't think that Lanny does. But I will say this, and I said this yesterday. Texas A&M just gave Jimbo Fisher seventy six million dollars to go away. They are not they are not short on money. They have as much money as they possibly can have. And I do think everyone has a price. Now I don't think Lane's gonna leave for Texas AM. I think he would aim his heights, his sights higher even. You know, maybe out of Alabama when Saban leaves, maybe out of Georgia or something like that where he used to coach at. I don't think AM's that spot. But you know, Texas ms not gonna be short on money. They're gonna go get the guy that they feel like is a guy that they can compete with. So they're gonna pay as much money as they possibly need to get that guy. Is Dan Lane that guy? He could be. I don't think I, I. honestly think this one's a little different, but I also think it's a situation. I don't think Lanning wants to necessarily leave Oregon right now because he does have things rolling, and the fact that they went to the Big Ten, he already got that contract extension. With his name being out there even more, he could probably get um, more money, get another raise, stay at Oregon, compete. Uh, you know, compete for college world playoff first. You know, as we've talked about, Oregon seems like they're in the driver's seat. Everything they hold their own destiny. I don't uh, – maybe I'm an a Judah. Hmm. I, this is different. This one's a little different, I think, with Dan Lanning, but I may be wrong. I didn't look stupid at the end of the day. But, man, Lanning, he really has put cold water on all that stuff every single time it's come up. And so you, know, you got to love what he has to say.
1: And he also said that I'm not looking for a new contract out of this. Like, that that was explicitly what he said. He said some coaches, yeah. they beat around the bush because they they want a new contract. I, I'm taking very care of very well here at Oregon. I don't need a new contract right now. Now, I, I'm just being an part? advisor.
6: I'm being an advisor.
1: Go, go and get more money there, Daniel. <laughs> go and get more money. And hey, we'll see out of the hearings in Washington today whether or not there will be more money from which to supplement Lanning's contract and the uh, the coaching pool for his assistant coaches, Tosh and all those guys that are making a chunk of change. But I appreciated his attitude. I appreciated his candor, and uh, I'm glad that he wants to to raise his family in Eugene and see all three of his boys, middle school down into to grade school. Um, you know attend the same high school graduate from the same high school as Gonzano was talking about on yesterday's show and I love that Dan Landing is saying that he sees you Oregon, as the destination program that was always meant to be. And he's basically tank, taking shots at Mario and Willie saying, any coach that doesn't see that, like, I can't help you. Like, I like th- th- that's what we have in Oregon. We have the resources, the tools, the flexibility, the finances, and everything to win big here. Why wouldn't you want to win big here? But you just said something that I think is operative. The move to the Big Ten definitely helps keep Dan Lanning in town. There's no looking across at the grass is greener from a conference perspective. Like there may have been, had not the PAC 12 crumbled, like we're all kind of, you know, obviously sad about in, in a lot of ways, but in a, an in interesting case like this, it probably helps keep Dan Lanning around for the long haul. Yeah.
6: I mean, for Oregon, you know, getting to the big 10, I think it's huge. And I don't, I don't think it's really crazy to say that Oregon is a better program than Texas A and M right now.
1: Like, no, uh, Oregon's definitely a better program than Texas A and M. An in easy, my opinion,
6: and I think it's an easier spot to win too, even in the Big Ten rather than the like SEC. What's
1: the argument that A and M is a better job than Oregon?
6: <laughs> they have oil money. That's
1: I mean, and that means oil. what national they, championships? I don't think they so. Have infinite money it compared to Phil Knight's
6: infinite money. Yeah, I mean, and I,
1: a five ten quarterback that ran around with his, with his head cut off and uh, won a Heisman Trophy and then didn't watch. Any film, exactly zero film. Fun times, uh, but, but and, for, and they had Miles Garrett. And for that, that's one, like, that's one thing. That's for
6: why Landing, I think, wants to stay in Oregon. Like he looks and he says, "I think right now, being so young, he's so energetic. He seems like it's f- like football is his life right now. Like he's just watching film. Yeah. He comes out, he talks in the press conferences, then he goes back and watches more film. And so I think for him, it's like he really wants to get." The accolades under control right now. Like I want to win a national championship. Well, I want to should, win two. Because he
1: should. Stephen, he's zero and three against his rivals, and we're talking about this guy being like the savior. You know what I mean? That's that's the counter side of this. He has. He a still lot of- has he- to win a freaking big game. He's still very unproven as Mario a coach. Mario won in the shoe. All right, and then he, you know, he he crapped the bed against it- Utah twice amid all the rumors that he was leaving. Landing has not won a game like Mario Cristobal has won. Answer yet. me that's this question, back. Judah. Ran- rank these coaches. Dan Lanning,
6: Jonathan Smith, Kalen DeBoer,
1: Uh, right? And that (laughs) prior to the fake field goal and all the all the there have been. I would have said Jonathan Smith a month ago. He's just been too shoot from the hip, man. It's it's been too Josh Allen like to borrow the Monday night you know descriptor from from last night, and that was a wild game too that we'll get to. Jonathan Smith made too many bad calls for me to say that he's the best. Otherwise, I would have. I think it's Kalen. And I would have said I would have put Kalen third a month ago, but he's got an undefeated team and he beat Oregon, and that might, you know. But I think it's really really close all the way through there. But because Dan Lanning has lost, he's over in the in the rivalry games. You can't say that he's the best out of that group. And that's kind of my point
6: is that I think with him, he is like he is that football guy, and he does hold grudges, and he does hold these rivalries. He wants to win those rivalry games. He does have stuff that he needs to prove on the on the sideline of Oregon before he ever leaves. And so I don't think Texas A and M is the school that was gonna entice him to leave early. I think there probably is a school or two that would say, hey, you know what? If you want to be our head coach and you still haven't accomplished these things, come on over, and he'd say okay, but I don't think that's Texas a and I think he has a lot to finish at the Oregon sidelines, yeah. and I think a lot of it is because you look at Oregon State and Washington and how those games have gone hasn't gone his way.
1: How long do you think the uh, the list is of Dan Landing dream jobs? That, that's what I'm curious of. In 503-417-7575, if you want to chime in on this, Dan Landing emphatically uh, shutting down any chance that he's leaving Eugene for College Station for sure. Um, but is there a chance that down the road he ends up taking a different type of dream job? And I, I think there's obviously one out there at a at a previous stop of his. It's probably not the one everybody's um, that would be naturally tying him to in Georgia. I actually think the Alabama job with Nick Saban's you know age and career trajectory, etc. When when that comes open, I could see Dan Lanning five six years from now, maybe sooner, maybe not. Uh, leaning toward that job, almost more so than any chance at Georgia, just because well, I, I I see Kirby getting squatting down on Athens and not leaving anytime soon. Why
6: would he? Right? Like yeah. he
1: has that on cruise control. But finally, you know, fine, Bob, the
6: SEC mouthpiece that he is, he even said Lanning is a great would be a great candidate for Nick Saban when he retires. Like, yeah. not saying that that's gonna happen. I don't know what Dan Lanning's thinking in his I like mind, that though. But like, it makes a lot of sense, right? It makes a lot of sense with the passion he has. But I also think that he sees the potential at Oregon. He wants to be the coach that was the national title. We've had numerous callers say, you know what? Oregon's done everything they've had to do. They've been the talk of the nation. They've been at the top of the school, top of the nation. They've never won that national title. If Dan Laney wins that title, he's getting a statue. He's going to be the man. And I think that he does look at that. And he wants that before he would ever consider leading. So I don't think Texas A&M is that job.
1: 503-417-7575. Steven, if you could pop on uh, Josh in Vancouver on line one. Hey, Josh, what's on your mind? <laughs>
5: Hey fellas, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the call. Hey, I just got a quick question for you. So I'm I'm you know I'm sitting here driving home and I'm listening to kind of the conversation. Ducks fan uh, like Lanning, think Lanning's a young coach and he's got some areas that he's got to improve. But I'm really intrigued by this conversation that we're having about whether or not he or how good of a coach he is right now, just within even the Pac-12 ranks. So I just want to make just or ask a specific question for you guys, and I'm interested in your response, and that's this. It, it keeps getting pointed out that Dan Lanning is 0-3 in his rivalry games, which is, like, that's that's a hurdle a, a hurdle a young coach has to climb, like, no doubt. But are we saying that within the next two and a half weeks, Dan Lanning could go from being the third best coach in the conference to the first best coach in the conference? <laughs> purely just because he could potentially win – at Oregon State and then Washington, and it, and and literally how we view him as a good coach is only based on those factors, or is it other things? And and I will fully confess, like I think Jonathan Smith is one of the best coaches in the country, and Kalen DeBoer absolutely like any Duck fan that is throwing spit on that guy's name, shame on them because he's a good coach. Like I, you can't you can't deny the job that that guy's doing. But um, when I look at just the culture that that Dan Lanning has cultivated in Eugene, how he has kind of turned around uh, that roster as quick as he did, and a lot of people that don't follow the Ducks or don't want to follow anything about Oregon, they want to give a lot of credit to Mario Cristobal, but Lanning completely gutted that roster and flipped it, kept very little of Mario Cristobal's players, so when you think about the culture change, the player turnover, the recruiting that he took Oregon to even further heights than any of the previous coaches... I'm just wondering how that falls into the metrics of what you guys are talking about and why would just those two wins change his position in two-week period of time from now until then?
1: That is a, a hell of a call, Josh. I appreciate that. And I have, the, I have the same question for myself, and we'll pick it up and we'll talk about it more on the other side, but he brings up an interesting point. It's You can bring up the offer in rivalry games, but... All the other stuff, he's probably the best at. He's the best recruiter. He's the best roster, you know, the manager of the roster. He's got the best coaching staff. He's the best
6: recruiter. It,
1: that's why, yeah. I, did I, you did, say that? I did, yeah. But that but the that's the thing. How, like, where do you weight the recruiting? Is it a 70 30 thing? Right. Like, you know, that's what we all say about college football coaches compared to NFL coaches. You got to be a good recruiter to be a good college football coach. Dan is definitely the best. Recruiter. I said that he's got the best coaching staff. I know Beaver fans would be like, hey, what about us? What about Machalczyk and Lindgren? And and there's a place for that. But I think, you know, just looking at the coordinators, um, Oregon's probably got the best collection of them. I mean, Bam, Husky, was after Washington. Huskies fans would be like, what about Ryan Grubb? He's yeah. probably the best play caller of the group, too. I think it's very close. But I will say this. It's the way Oregon lost their rivalry games last year. It's one thing to lose that nail biter in Seattle. You were a two touchdown favorite at home to Washington last year. You lost. You had a thirty-one ten lead to Oregon State. They didn't pass the ball and they beat you. So that to me is that an indictment of, of toughness. Now again, that's one that's in your first year, but it'd be one thing if you if it was like a pick em point spread and you lost on a last second field goal to those guys. Um, but you didn't, I mean, Washington went in there and, and as a two touchdown underdog, not a, not a pick em, It was, it was a double digit point spread going into that one and they just ripped it from you. And then Oregon state down three touchdowns and just ran the football at you. So forgive me if I'm still remembering those results and remembering how those games were played. And don't get me wrong, I love Dan Lanning. I think that he is the man for the job at Oregon, that he's going to be there for the long haul, uh, five, six more seasons at the very least, and he could very well win a national championship. But, no, I, I wouldn't necessarily change that hierarchy just if he beats an Oregon State team who's going to be emotionally spent after this weekend, who hasn't won in Autzen Stadium since 2007, and who, frankly, Oregon is just better than right now than Oregon State. No, I'm not going to change my mind necessarily about Dan Lanning, uh, the in-game coach and the in-game manager, uh, just because he wins a game that, frankly, he's probably supposed to win. Because there were two games last year that he was supposed to win that he didn't. And I'm not just going to forget those once he, you know, does what he's supposed to do in one of those big games. It, it, It makes it sound like I'm coming across as a Dan Lanning hater. I'm not whatsoever. I love the guy. I think he's fantastic and phenomenal. But I think it's easy to forget and almost forgive the way in which Oregon lost those two massive rivalry games last year that, frankly, they should not have.
6: To me, it almost feels like this is like the tiebreaker thing, right? Like, you could argue all these coaches are about the best or who's the best, but then you look at the records of Lane and his 0-3. Like, for me, that would just have to put him at the bottom. And to the caller's point, like, if he goes and wins the Pac-12 and beats Oregon State, is he the best coach? It, it might change that way, then. He'd be along with a Pac-12 title, and I think the tiebreaker then swings in his way, But they all have flaws, but I think Lanning's have cost his team some games. Even though I agreed with the decisions, they did cost the team the game in Washington.
1: Yeah, we'll bounce a break and come back. And when we do, we'll give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to WWE Raw at Moda Center. We'll take more of your phone calls on Dan Lanning and uh, and his future at Oregon. And how would you rank those three coaches? Kalen DeBoer, Jonathan Smith, Dan Lanning. Your reasoning and why. You can lay it out here. 503-417-7575. Our Beavers insider T.J. Matthewson joins us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. Bruce Barnum in the 5 o'clock hour. Nubian and Vaughn in for Kizano, who's uh, covering the courtroom hearing at Colfax today, right here on The Bald Face Truth.
4: Back to The Bald Face Truth with John Casano on 750 The Game.
1: alright one seven seventy five seventy five. 503-417-7575. If you want to go to WWE Raw in January, that's how they say it, right? Uh, that's at Moda Center in January. And have you ever
6: been to a wrestling show?
1: <laughs> no. I have. And? Back in the day, it was great. Um, so we was Do up you in- have to be shirtless to get in? No. Oh. But
6: uh, it was up in Tacoma back in the day. Like I said, it was when I was in, I believe, fifth grade, something like that. Uh, Tacoma Dome for Raw, for Monday Night Raw. And, uh, you know, one of the wrestlers, I forget which one, he came out and, you know, they turned the lights off, right? Because they got to set the mood, they turned the lights off, crazy music. All of a sudden, I look over at my dad and he starts yelling. And I'm like, <laughs> what, what are you doing? And then he says later on, he got hit in the head with marbles. So uh, it was a good time. That's what happens at the wrestling shows. Things get crazy. People were throwing marbles, he got hit in the head, and uh, then he got hit in the head again later on in the show with marbles when the lights went out. So, you know, I, I give give props to the wrestling fans. They, they're ready to go at He's, all times.
1: Is, it, is that a thing, Mar- I,
6: marbles? I don't know, but can you imagine getting hit in the head with marbles? That would hurt a lot.
1: Oh, man, I would lose my marbles, uh, if you know what I mean. I, I would definitely do that. Uh, I want to give away a pair of tickets, and uh, we, we like to do a little trivia to do so. And if you don't win now, we'll give away another pair at 4 45 and 5 45 Uh, on today's show, so uh, you'll want to be here for the entirety of the show for your chance to win. We'll also take your calls on Dan Landing throughout the show. 503-417-7575. Big Splash is coming up momentarily and it involves a Pac-12 coach, so we'll get to that in a moment. The trivia to win the tickets is this. Uh, John Canzano wrote it at com. He also talked about it on the radio show with us in segment one and on yesterday's radio show, but Dan Lanning, one of the reasons he thinks that he's gonna stay in Eugene long term is because of how many times he and his family have moved. Tell me how many times Dan Lanning's family has moved in how many years? Give me the number of times that they've moved in how many years the time span. It's a it's a very interesting uh, figure. It's a lot of moves too, by the way. Five oh three, four one seven, seventy five, seventy five. If you get that right, you win a pair of tickets. To go see WWE at uh, at Moda Center in Portland in January. How many times has Dan Landing moved his family, and 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 how many years? And that's one of the reasons why he's going to stay in Eugene long term. In the meantime, let's get to our big splash.
6: This is Beat the big splash.
1: Brought to you by Killer Burger,
4: voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about.
1: From Bruin Report Online, it is very likely that UCLA will fire Chip Kelly per multiple sources. That according to Bruin Report Online. You have David Woods and Mike Regalado who uh, and Tracy Pearson, who run Bruin Report Online, and they uh, have tweeted that it is very likely UCLA will fire Chip Kelly. Uh, there's been more information on that. On3Sports says UCLA is likely to fire Chip Kelly after the USC game, and um, that's coming up here. Is that this weekend, UCLA and uh, and USC? But regardless, it looks like, UCLA is going to part ways with Chip Kelly. Um, as soon as I saw this news, I started thinking about the man pulling the strings in Corvallis and what it means for him and his future. And Jonathan Smith, would that be a job that he'd be interested in taking? Uh, we'll bounce a break and come back. We'll give you a chance to, to win those WWE tickets. We'll also talk to our man, T.J. Matthewson, coming up.
4: BFFT now, built by high-caliber millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn with the ball, face, face, true. All right, a lot to get to here.
1: John Canzano is covering the uh, courtroom hearing in Colfax. Stephen, have you seen anything major pop out of that yet? You never know with these things.
6: I haven't seen anything major. Uh, it does seem like there's a lot of uh, attorneys there. John Canzano has tweeted that out. There's a lot of attorneys. Uh, and, uh, the judge, Gary Libby, he, he has a quote that says, isn't the PAC 12 survival of the utmost concerned of all the parties and quote, Attorney for UW says, we're happy to see Washington state and Oregon state have a future in the PAC 12 or elsewhere. And quote, I don't know. seems like, uh, Washington or Washington doesn't care about Washington state or Oregon state or their future or the PAC 12, but that's just me as an outsider.
1: (laughs) There's so much, so many, uh, verbal bouquets being exchanged by all parties so nothing major has come out of the uh, the courtroom hearing uh, yet if and when it does we will of course bring that news to you as it impacts oregon state and washington state and the departing institutions from the conference what it means for the future of the pac two what it means for jonathan smith as well chip kelly reportedly going to be fired at ucla following the usc game that news is coming out and those are reports that are coming out from Bruin online, so, you know, if you trust that reputable UCLA blog, it looks like Chip's time is coming toward an end in Westwood, and does that have any implications with Jonathan Smith's future at Oregon State? I
6: want to add this to Chip Kelly. The thing about him is UCLA is kind of noted to be cheap, kind of a little bit, right? Especially on the football side, when it comes to money, they don't want to pay a lot of extra money. If they do find Chip Kelly, they owe him about $30 million.
1: So well, I just heard 76 for Jimbo, so my, <laughs> I'm like all over the place in my head. Is 30 a lot? I mean, it seems <laughs> like tongue-in-cheek. It, right? like, it's yeah. obviously, you know, but like, you tier know. point for UCLA. That's a chunk of change. And who knows if Aikman and, and uh, the Wassermans are right. fully committed to sign off on this. Maybe Martin Jarmon, the AD at UCLA, you know, he's an Ohio State guy. But I i have one think foot out the door to replace, you know, the the Gene Smith at at, at Ohio State? Don't that's,
6: you always think, though, that these people, though, when they are going to fire someone and pay that type of money, they're going to be willing to pay a lot of money for the next coach?
1: Yeah, big that, time. That's, that's kind of what it is. That's, if you've got the deep pockets to do the buyout, you better have the deep pockets to get the guy you want. Otherwise, why do the buyout, right? It doesn't make any sense. You either got him or you don't. Uh, we are giving away, though, first some WWE Raw tickets to you. And uh, the question was, how many times has Dan Lanning moved his family and uh, in how many years? Let's go out to line number two, Stephen. Norm is in Tigard. Norm, give it a shot. How many times has Dan Lanning and his family moved?
8: I believe he's moved seven times in the last 11 years.
1: Oh, man, I think you are so close. You have half of it right, Norm. You, Uh, You have half of it right. Unless I'm wrong, which is also a possibility, let's write down Norm's uh, contact because now, now he's got me up in my head. Uh, but let's try line number six first. That's Matt in Portland. Matt, what's your what's your call? Norm had seven and eleven, and I think he got half of it right. What's your call?
8: Seven and thirteen.
1: that's it <laughs> you got it right <laughs> seven and 13 I'm not crazy that that that's what it was seven and 13. he's moved seven times in 13 years with his family Matt congratulations you've won a pair of tickets to WWE Raw in January who are you taking with you my
8: son Patrick
1: congrats Patrick uh just watch out for any marbles being thrown on your head apparently that's a thing <laughs> at wwe events matt if you uh stay on hold we'll get some uh, of your information and uh, we'll get you some tickets set your way as well and uh as we do that let's bring on our oregon state insider tj matthewson joining us he writes at 750 thegame.com uh you a wrestling fan at all tj we're, we're giving away tickets all day no not at all you got the wrong guy for that <laughs> wrong guy but you are a mariner fan uh we'll talk some beeves in a moment uh what, what what's your read on otani's future does he have any chance to land in uh in seattle
9: well it's making me a little nervous the longer he takes i think the uh, the idea was he's going to sign here in the first first three weeks so there's about a month's time between when the world series ends and he could sign in, in the winter meetings and I think a lot of people guessed he was going to sign sometime in that frame. We're right smack in the middle of it right now. So, you know, I'm going to say the longer it takes, the, the more nervous and less optimistic I'll be. But apparently he's already got the ideas of uh, of where he's going to choose. So I guess now it's just up to him to leak more information so we uh, we know a little
10: bit more.
1: TJ Matthews is in with us. He does, uh, he does a great baseball podcast as well, the Marine Layer Pod. I encourage you if you're a baseball fan to go check it out sometime. But he also writes – on Oregon State football for us at 750thegame.com. The Chip Kelly stuff is really heating up now, uh, TJ. You've got Bruin Report online uh, saying that after the USC game, it's expected that Chip Kelly will part ways with UCLA. Some buyout money involved in there as well. Uh, How is that being received uh, in real time in Corvallis right now?
9: I think it's no secret that everyone knows where Jonathan Smith is from, but you guys did bring up to an interesting point. It's like, okay, so how much does UCLA really care at care about football? And in the, I would say there's a lot of factors of, of how, uh, that would be received if, of how realistic people think that is because you like of the, the two LA schools for college football, like people are not looking at UCLA of like, that is a dream destination for any coach to go to, to, to build up a program. Now, they're about to move into a conference with a full share of television money, unlike the other Pac-12 schools that are that are headed that way next season. So the resources could absolutely increase. And I think the buyout money, guys. By the way, from what I'm looking here, I think I see like eight or nine million, not thirty. Oh, okay. So thirty sounds like I was like thirty is more than than Gus Malzahn got at Auburn, which was the former record until Jimbo broke it this weekend. So I was going to say, 30 now, but good luck. Good <laughs> luck having UCLA spend thirty million dollars on anything in their football program, let alone firing Chip Kelly. So i I think it. I, I think it's interesting. It would make sense. Uh, the recruiting base is strong there for Jonathan, uh, but I would say this it's a little early, and I think the the wheels would have to move on Chip Kelly first before anything uh, anything serious would come out. But it the timing is doesn't make people feel comfortable. I'll say that much.
1: because well, you got that, and you got the hearing today. TJ, like, that's part of it, too. So he got these things in real time. We're talking about it on the show. Uh, What about Mm -hmm. the hearing, the results of of what's going to come down here in the next hour or two on Oregon State's future and also Jonathan Smith?
9: So you guys know, like, in the next week, like, we're going to have, A, a good idea, so we'll know what job is open. We'll know if UCLA is open. And, two – like after today, the, the controlling interests in the conference know who controls the money, whether the money from this year, the money for next year, who has voting rights on the board, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, Jonathan Smith by this time next week will have a much clearer vision of where the future of this program is. Let's say with Scott Barnes and all the higher ups at Oregon State, like they're, they're going to have a much better idea of what the next two years, next three years contains for this university. If, if everything gets concluded today of course they could continue to bump it the judge can bump it back if they feel like they need to but once this finishes I mean everyone's going to have a much better idea so that's why I say with the timing it's just not it's not great because if it's not the news that you know some of these great coaches at Oregon State want to hear or some of the higher-ups at Oregon State want to hear of course like there, there's always things out there and we haven't uh, it's wouldn't be the first time we've seen people you know jump off and, and go somewhere they, they think is better and more secure and more sustainable. I hope everyone here. I hope does not hope that happens. Though I hope they hope good news out of today.
1: I mean, you got to get resolution sooner rather than later. Hell, you need it right now if you're Oregon State, right? Because you got the coach thing, but you also got transfer portal opening in early December. Like, if you don't have resolution or, or clarity, you could be in a lot of trouble.
9: Port. Yeah, portal's open, and the thing I keep thinking about, they still don't have a TV deal for next year. Like, wh- where are they playing?
1: YouTube live, yeah, <laughs> pay yeah, per view. I don't know. YouTube, yeah, yeah. YouTube, <laughs> Maybe there's a Twitch, new market for <laughs> yeah for all carte Oregon State games. Maybe there's a new market for that. Just don't put it on Root yeah. Sports Plus. That, that, that's all I'm saying. But you're yeah, right. You're don't. right. That's that's another thing. Find. Exactly. That's a, but that's just another reason why. Like, yeah, they need uh, the timeline. You know, the next hour and a half is like massively important. I feel like just for the timeline with everything. How much of it can you feel? is impacting the coaching staff and the players if at all.
9: Well they don't they don't let it be shown at all. I mean the, the consistent message throughout the season is you know this week this week this week this week I mean, we're trying to ask them about what this next two week stretch entails last week against Stanford and it's like you know we got to get we got a game to play on Saturday that's all we're focused on and the play on the field represented that they came out and played their best game of the season against Stanford. And really set themselves up for what's going to be just an, an amazing two-game stretch. You're probably, arguably, the two biggest two-game stretch that the Beavers have played as a football program coming up here this week. So it's it's really going to be a treat to treat to watch. And I don't think the coaches let any of that get to them as as they're heading into this two-week stretch.
1: We're talking to T.J. Matthewson, our Oregon State Beavers insider at 750thegame.com. Jude Nubi and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano. Steven, you got something for TJ.
6: Yeah, TJ, what's going on, man? Uh, I love your work, first of all, for 750 the Game. Go check that out, 750 game.com But um, I asked John this at the start of the show. Is Oregon State the second-best team in the Pac-12 right now? Looking ahead. Right now, they're favorites, slight favorites over Washington at home. Is that the right call that Vegas has, that Oregon State is a better team at Research Stadium than Washington is, even though Washington undefeated, You know, right in the college football playoff race?
9: Vegas is right. I think this Oregon State team, when you take them on the road, they, I don't know, they could be like the fourth or the fifth best team in the Pac-12, if that. They could be, they could be worse than that. This team at Research Stadium, just especially, I would say especially on defense, are really are, are just able to take it to another level. And we've seen that over the the last you know few seasons, sixteen and one in their last seventeen home games. That's like that's a pretty absurd part. And if and if you follow gambling at all, like it's not only uh, not only do have they won you know sixteen or seventeen at home. But but they also covered the spread at home by over ten points. By like even if they're favored by you know two touchdowns, they'll cover it by twenty four on average at home. And and then, like that's pretty ridiculous. So I don't I don't think it's a, to say that they're the second best team in the conference if they're playing it at Research Stadium. However, you know if I think the Ducks came in uh, and they a spit out a line yesterday, it would still probably be the Ducks by a touchdown. So you know I think that that works out. But I don't think any other team in this conference and it reflects this week would. Would be favored if the Beavers are playing at home.
1: How, uh, how how much are they looking forward to being at home here? You got four thirty ABC. They've been on the road for a couple of weeks now, um, uh, and well, I guess they had the Stanford game this past weekend. And th- frankly, that was the reason why I thought that they were going to cover the spread against Stanford was the fact that just at home they cover spreads. That's what Oregon State does. Yeah, uh, they, they find a way to do that. Um, they hardly play, you know, uh, uh, close games, especially when they're ho- the home favorite. But with this Husky team coming into town, I mean, this is by far, I mean, I guess since the Oregon game last year, since the USC game last year, this is the biggest home game Oregon State has had in some time. Is there a chance that they're emotionally overhyped for this game, knowing that uh, knowing all that's at stake and it's the final home game at Reeser Stadium of them being in the pac 12
9: I don't think so, because that would just be sort of out of character of what we see. If, if that does happen, I would be kind of surprised. Because I would say, like, part of the reason, Judah and Steven, like, that, that they've been able to be so consistent at home, winning all these games and covering all these spreads, is because they haven't let that affect them. Or if they haven't let it, I would say, overwhelm them in effect. was going to be a ton of emotion. I mean, it's going to be senior night. It's going to be... The, one of the not the probably not the last game against you but the last one for probably a few years maybe a decade who knows how long that is i mean it's a rivalry that dates back a long long time and everyone you know everyone's aware of all this we have jonathan smith's connection to to the huskies as well and you know coming down on the road and one of the main catalysts for the reason that this conference won't exist next year is the the washington huskies and their head coach and their president of making that decision way back in august so there's a whole lot of factors going into this, but I would say on the Oregon State side, I, I don't know I don't know if the emotion will come from the game itself. Might maybe just be a little bit more for Senior Day for some of those guys going out.
6: TJ, um, I don't understand why ESPN's not coming to Corvallis for game day. How upset are are you feeling the fans are right now that game day is going to James Madison instead of going to a potentially a top ten matchup where you know, a team could get eliminated from the college football playoff or a team like Oregon state could, you know, really, you know, solidify itself and jump up into the top 10, get close to that top five. Like how mad are fans right now? And how upset are you? Cause I'm pretty upset. Like I'm not even a fan and I'm upset about this. I can't even imagine what B fans are thinking right now.
1: I don't
9: think the fans were as upset as, uh, as upset as I expected. I expected a little bit more, but you know, talking, talking to a few of them and, here in some of our callers here at KEJO, both after the game and, and this week, it, it didn't seem like people were that upset about it. The, like the,
8: the,
9: the Beavers are still going to get quite a showcase. They're going to get the best time slot. They're going to be in prime time. They're still going to get all the eyeballs they possibly could. I mean, I'm mean, i a little disappointed. It would have been nice to have some extra energy and some extra folks in town and good to p- potentially go meet some of this, this talent that you watch on TV every day. I think that would have been pretty cool, and it would have been – would have been essentially, you know, a three-hour commercial for Corvallis, which have been very nice to the community, especially, you know, trying to sell something that other networks have devalued, just like ESPN, and said they're not really worth paying the money for.
3: And uh, you know,
9: I would say for the, this game day thing, I said this on my post-game show after the game, and I'll say it again here: th- there's no real conspiracy of why ESPN's not coming. It's very clear why ESPN's not coming. If they they didn't. If they didn't feel like they had to dodge the the question of why Oregon State is in the position it is, they if they didn't have to dodge that, they would be in, in here. They would be in Corvallis. They're like, there's there's no other question. This game was taking place anywhere besides Pullman this week. A top ten matchup, you know they would be there. So like it's it. I would say it's not really a question. It's it, not really a conspiracy of why they're not, not, you, not coming to Corvallis. You
6: Beaver fans are better than me. I'll tell you what. Like I, I would be so upset if I was a diehard Oregon State fan just to get the slap in the face and the disrespect that they're showing Corvallis right now. And that's the thing is Oregon State has proven to be a Power 5 program. They run their program like a Power 5 program. And ESPN is treating them like they're just bottom feeders. I'm, just, I'm upset about it. I just...
1: Well, do you want game day to be there if you're a Beaver fan? And Just so you can heckle game day? Yeah, you do. You know, and throw stuff at McAfee. Throw beaver pelts at McAfee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you, do. <laughs> you do. You do. You want to heckle them. Isn't it amazing, though, too, TJ, that with all this, and no conference for the Beavers, they finished the regular season, 430 ABC, 530 Fox. Like, the biggest. But not front. a
9: valuable brand, though.
1: <laughs> exactly. Not a valuable brand. You know, never mind. Top ten of the CFP or or whatever. What do you think? Where do you think they slot in the CFP uh, in the rankings that come out tonight?
9: They should be ten. I was wondering if they were going to get over Ole Miss and Penn State, but by the looks of the coaches' poll and the AP poll, I'd say they're going to go over both of those teams, especially after how they lost this past weekend. So I would say ten. So we're, gonna be, this is going to be the first top ten matchup between these two schools ever this Saturday. So that'll be a nice finishing touch.
1: It's crazy to think and. I know it's Oregon at the end of the year, but is it crazy to think that you would almost rather win this Washington game than than the Oregon game? Is that just absolutely nuts? And I only say that because, like, this Washington game, like, you're legitimately favored now. You know, like, mm-hmm. the line swung through zero. You're at home. It's senior day. It's the last time to send off, you know, Beaver Nation in the Pac-12 at Reaser. Like, it would kind of suck to lose that game on Saturday night. Whereas... Oregon if if you if you beat Oregon they might still end up in Vegas you know at, at the end of it assuming that Oregon states lost the UW game um because they would have two losses but they would still probably have the tiebreaker with Arizona Etc like that I, I don't know that the ramifications against Oregon would be as pronounced as it might seem if you beat them in that game whereas if you I mean if you beat this Washington Huskies team it's still all out on the table for you and you send off your fan base with a high note is it is it crazy to think that you'd almost rather win this game with Washington than Oregon next week
9: I get what you're saying but I think people just want to win both they're not even thinking one or the other it's just going for both I mean what better way to send a message to the the 10 to abandon you than to take a spot in, in the conference championship game or you know I, I don't even know where this is in the bylaws could, could they just if they gain control of the conference today, could Oregon State just name themselves into the conference title game? Could they do that? <laughs> he well,
6: that that leaves this question then, TJ. What what are the expectations for these last two games? Are Beaver yeah. fans expecting two wins? Are they expecting a split? Like if they go 0-2, is it going to be a disappointing end of the season and people are going to be upset? Like what, what are the expectations for these final two games? Because these are probably the top three teams in the conference. And, you know, if you go 0-2, the fans going to be sad about that or, uh, or they just kind of say, you know what, it is what it is?
9: I'm expecting one and one. Uh, there are a lot of people I talk to who expect two and zero. That that that's what it is. Especially with the, the final game down the road, you 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 really you never know. Even if even if the Ducks are end up being a ten point favorite next week, I mean, you, you don't know. These games are can be so competitive. And all it would take was is like Oregon State for the first time this year, like playing a really 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 good game on the road. Like they could do. We we've seen them play at home. Like if they play really, really good on the road, the expectation should be two wins because they're good enough to do it.
1: Well, you wrote it at 750game.com. Like, the two-game season starts now, right, for the mm-hmm. Beavers. It was always going to come down to these two games, always. And that's why I'm still left with a bit of a punch in my gut about that Arizona game because, like, there still could have been more on the table for the Beavers here. The Washington State game, I guess as well, given what Wazoo has become over the last uh, few weeks, how often are you thinking about those two road losses? And if, you know, one of those goes the other way, if a fake field goal isn't called at the end of the first half, like, you know, yourself and, and Beaver Nation, like how much conversation still is lingering from those two losses?
9: I would say it would be more about the Arizona game. If I'm personally going to think about it and think of what game had more opportunities in it, it would have been Arizona. Arizona, they had two drives in the fourth quarter to go down there, take some time off the clock, score a touchdown, and go ahead and give the defense a chance chance in it. I mean, that's not even like regarding the fake field goal at the end of the half, which was a bad call. Jonathan said it was a bad call as well. So there's just so many more factors in that game, I think, than just what was overall a bad performance on defense at wazoo and you know give cam warden and, and company credit that was you know the last good game they played this season essentially and it was nearly perfect um so they they i would say earned that one a little bit more early on in the season than i would say arizona late in the season against a good arizona team now like a, an actually good jet fish led program down there in tucson that the Beavers came in there their favored, and they took them right to the wire and probably should have won that game if they clean up any number of mistakes against them and just ended up not uh, not being able to take advantage of it.
1: Did you hear what Jake Dickert said the other day about the lack of funds at Wazoo and Oregon State is 10 xing Wazoo and yeah. yeah. NIL?
9: Does Oregon State really have 10X NIL? Money? That's like, what I was going to ask you. That's, like, a, is that's I, a really big number. I think or yeah. Either like that or it's really, really small in the pollute.
1: Dick Dickert's probably gone. I mean, he he's talking like a coach that's got one foot out the door. I don't know what job he's taken. Maybe Mississippi State or Michigan State. I don't know, but like you, he, he said Oregon State is ten xing wazoo Is like no, there's no way that that's happening at Oregon. I mean, maybe, but I'm not taking his word for it. Uh, that's for sure. Um, still a lot uh, of uh, of runway before Saturday comes. But what's your early lean on Oregon State U Dub on Saturday night? How much of Oregon State's Running game is suitable to uh, take taking down the Huskies. How much of this is going to come down to DJ Uiungula having to make some plays in the clutch?
9: The way I'm thinking about Saturday right now, you know, early perspective. I got a lot of time to sit and think about this over the next few days. But I'm honestly not even looking at the Oregon State offense because we know they have to play well. Like that, they they have to be good through the air and they need to be good on the ground, like we saw against Stanford, and they were explosive. Both, both through the air and, and on the ground against Stanford. So, like that, like, that has to be the case. Like, there's no if ands, or buts about that. So, I'm actually going to flip it over to the defensive side. Like, they need to figure out some way to not have some of these issues that have popped up this season, especially on the back end, that really hurt them. And, and some of their depth that in the secondary that's been really tested and they've had some trouble tackling and had some trouble covering. Like, th- this is not the group that you can just struggle to tackle and cover against. Because if that's the case, but like the Beaver offense, it, isn't even, it doesn't even really matter how good they are. They're not really built to probably go toe for toe, shot for shot, with Michael Penix and, and that wide receiver group and Dylan Johnson, who's really come on the last two weeks. So it, it really comes down to like the amount of pressure Oregon State's defense puts on Michael Penix, and do a little bit what Arizona State did to him up in Seattle about a month ago, where they hit him a bunch, they get, put a bunch of pressure in his face, and, and made him uncomfortable which led to UW's only performance of the season where they haven't scored an offensive touchdown. I mean, that's sort of the game plan you have to go after while expecting on the other side your offense is going to have to play in your flawless game.
1: It's going to be a great atmosphere and a great game, TJ. We'll look forward to reading your preview coming up uh, on Thursday at 750thegame.com. Thanks for your work all year with us, and we appreciate your insights. Uh, Thank you, guys. There he is, TJ Matthewson. Uh, joining us on the Bald Face Truth, Nubian Vaughn in for Canzano, who's covering the courtroom hearing in Colfax today. Uh, he's tweeting out some of the quotes from the attorneys uh, with Washington State and Oregon State facing the departing schools from the uh, from the Pac-12. And it uh, looks like a lot of fear-mongering going on on both sides of, of the aisle there. Eric McMichael, who is the attorney for the plaintiffs, uh, Wazoo in, in Oregon State, and uh, just trying to uh make it clear that they're the ones being left behind and they're the ones that should be able to have the agency in determining their future with the conference going forward so um Trying to pull at the heartstrings a little bit of Judge Gary Leiby. We'll bounce a break and come back, give you the latest from the courtroom. And uh, John Cazano will be back in the chair tomorrow as well to break it all down here on the radio show of what it all means going forward for Oregon State. Chip Kelly apparently out the door at UCLA. Uh, Dan Lanning putting his foot in the ground saying, I'm here in Eugene for the long haul and shut up about the rumors to replace Jimbo. I ain't interested. And how would you rank the Pac-12 coaches of Kalen DeBoer, Jonathan Smith, Dan Lanning? Put them in order, 1, 2, 3. Give me your reasoning why. Take some of your phone calls on the other side. On the Bald Face Truth and the BFT Radio Network.
4: Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
1: John Cassano in Colfax, Washington, covering the um, hearings today. As soon as there's concrete news that comes out of that, we will pass it to you right here on the radio show. And, John, will be back on the show tomorrow. Softy, we all know him. We all love him, depending on how you define love. He has tweeted out that um, Washington had a staffer walking around practice in Seattle today, shoving a portable speaker in players' faces with a chainsaw sound effect blaring out of it. <laughs> just walking around with a speaker and a chainsaw, holding it up into players' faces to get them ready ready for uh Corvallis. Tell you what,
6: if that works, every team's gonna start doing that when they play Oregon State and Corvallis, because that is a tough place to play right, right
1: now. I'm sure everybody's trying some variation of the uh of the chainsaw simulation. I just don't know if uh I just don't know that if it's been, you know, brought into players' faces the way that it's allegedly being done in Seattle today. Can you just imagine that being shoved in your face in practice? No, no, I cannot. And then man. getting your butt whooped at Reezer Stadium? No, That's, yeah, It's not going to work. It's not going to work. What's your early lean on it, Stephen?
6: I think my early lean right now is Oregon State to win outright. Um, I, I liked it a lot better when they were you know, the underdogs and not the favorites, but I do think that they deserve to be the favorites in this game, just based off the way that they've played at, in Corvallis. They're a different team. Like On the road, they've struggled against uh, numerous opponents, and they've lost a couple games on the road. But at home, they are a completely different team. I mean, they dominated Utah, and they you know, out-physicaled them. And we saw that game between Washington and Utah. I mean, Utah, they, they pushed Washington around for you know three-plus quarters there. And I, I think that Oregon State can do the same thing to Washington – but at research, I think they could do it a lot better there. So right now, I'm leaning Oregon State. Um, but I got to dig into a little bit of the passing defense numbers for Oregon State. Because Kinsano mentioned this at the start of the show. Like, he thinks Washington is going to have some big plays down the field. I tend to agree with him. But to what extent? Like, how many big plays can they get out of a doomsday? Like, are, is it going to be numerous? Is it just going to be one? I think that's going to be one of the keys of the game.
1: 503 417 75, 75 If you want to chime in on your early Beavers, Huskies, Thoughts. We're also talking Pac-12 coaches. We're talking Dan Lanning, Kaylin DeBoer, Jonathan Smith. Jonathan Smith's possible ties to uh, Southern California in the UCLA opening. Uh, Chip Kelly reportedly going to be let go after the USC game. To me, it's still too early just to say it with authority that Chip's going to be fired or that he is fired. But it's hard to have that news leak and, and think that there's not any substance Uh, behind it, uh, to (laughs) to use that term. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, A lot of you have been waiting patiently, and we want to continue this conversation. We'll start with Michael and Eugene on line one. Michael, it's good to talk to you again. How are you, and what's on your mind?
10: Steve and Judah, you guys manning the ship very well in John's stead, so congratulations to you both. Uh, I was in Austin on Saturday night. I've never been that cold it rained at 230 and I think the humidity was like a hundred percent and it was about 40 degrees so brutal night game on the coaching I think right now you would have to go DeBoer Jonathan Smith Lanning Dan has to absolutely beat Smith in the Civil War uh, you can't go 0-4 against your two hated rivals that is just not okay Um, And then this weekend, we want UW clean, obviously, in Vegas, so that's a play-in game for the college football playoff, us being Oregon, and I think we'll win easily in Tempe. But to the UCOA thing with Chip, I talked to some USC fans in Austin and around Eugene this weekend. Let's not forget who started this whole thing. It was Carol Foltz, the president USC, she did not want to pursue expansion. She plotted. Martin, whatever his name is, the AD at UCLA, yeah, he probably looks like we got to start winning and filling out this stadium a little bit more. But here's what he's never going to understand. And I think Stephen and Judy, you guys both talked about it earlier. UCLA, they don't care about football. They don't care. And USC only cares – when they're winning. Lincoln Riley is seeing what the difference between Oklahoma and USC is. USC, a bunch of front runners, and UCLA, it's a basketball school, always has been. They don't care about football. And the AD at UCLA has Midwest ties. Be careful who you hire, always, because he and Carol Fult plotted Originally, they wanted to take the Ducks. She didn't want that because we've been you know, taking advantage of them on the field and in recruiting. And I bet you Lincoln Riley won't be there long. They will be lost in the Midwest woods because they have not gotten a hire right since Pete Carroll, and they didn't get this one right. I was proud of Coach Lanning coming out, pouring cold water on A&M. The difference between A&M and UCLA – and m cares. I mean, they have 115,000. They just can't get out of their own way. I think the Bruins are averaging less than 25,000 in attendance, which is shameful. The Rose Bowl is college football. But Chip is clearly at the end of his rope. I think his success in Oregon very much echoes upon what Dan Lanning touched on last night. The facilities, the support, Chip Kelly's – The deck was stacked for him. There were a ton of NFLers on that team. Yes, he revolutionized offense with the blur, but I promise you if he had a mulligan, he never would have left, and the Ducks party would have won a national title with Marcus in 2012. It was awesome to see Marcus at Austin. On Saturday, they marched him out, and of course the place went crazy. So the Ducks have a three-game season, and I think Lanning has them ready. But I got to tell you, they look kind of sloppy in the fourth quarter on Saturday. The officiating was
1: horrendous. Oh, <laughs> you, put him on, you said he went long enough. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate your thoughts. Steven said we had uh, a catch. The
6: refs, the referees, he had me until the refs. I just don't like yeah. blaming refs for things like that, but he's right on all this kind of stuff. It's a three-game season, and I think Lane's gonna have him ready. Like, there's no reason to not think that. But I don't really start blaming the refs. I'm
1: out on that. Well, he does it on a lot of things, and, yes. and I think um, great points. Yeah, Michael, appreciate the call as always. Um, the chip stuff I do find pretty fascinating because it to me it's not like he's in a tailspin at UCLA. Like I don't I don't see like the Arizona State loss. That's a, that's a tough one to swallow. But we've seen these UCLA teams be competitive. It's just that they're competitive this year with a really good defense and a lackluster offense, and you didn't really expect that. But the Washington State win was a uh, a good one at the time. Um, you know, they, t- maybe they beat USC. If they beat USC, like, come on, you're saying he's going to get fired after the USC game? What if they beat USC? Then you fire him? The hell sense does that make? Also, if they don't care about football, then why fire him? Honestly, he's good for a program that doesn't care about football. He's going to give you six, seven wins as a floor. Maybe get up to eight and nine. They beat USC 60-some to 30-some just a couple years ago. Like, he's actually good for a place that doesn't care about football. If you don't care about football, you're not paying buyout money. Like, yeah, especially know, like, $30 million. I, just, I don't think it's that much. I, well, is it that much? You got double, TJ came on and said that it was closer to eight or nine million. I don't
6: buyout. know. I, I got a text from John Canzano himself. They, oh. said they owe them th- uh, they owe them 30 million dollars
1: oh well that would uh so I don't know that's a, that's a lot of money man that's straight cash owed me uh let's go out to line four let's go to John who's from Springfield hey John
8: hey guys hey um what I want to call about was the coaches how they rank but yes. real quick on chip Kelly chip Kelly's been a good with uh, uh, you know the publicity and playing with the bon- you know donors et cetera and I think that's going to downfall in a number of places, but I can see him go to Texas A&M if he could swing that around. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And in regards to the ranking of the coaches, let's just take it from a perspective of, I don't know, five years. You come into a program that's totally falling apart. A coach me, leaves in midseason. Uh, you have minimal funds. Uh, you stay the course you don't back down you stay with your beliefs and you build the program up through recruiting players that are you know they're they're chased after but not chased after by all the big dogs and uh, continue to say that that development bring in coaches who believe in the program and all of a sudden you're in the you know, top echelon of the conference. If you look at the top three, you guys have mentioned, who would you put there?
1: Yeah, that's uh, a good, uh, good question. Um, I got distracted at, toward the uh, tail end of that phone call. I got to say, cause I'm reading John Cazzano's Twitter timeline and it looks like we got some news, Stephen, out of the courtroom in Colfax. Uh, John Cazzano uh, saying he quotes Judge Gary Leiby who says, quote, I grew up where conduct spoke louder than words, unquote. The judge orders that Washington State and Oregon State will be the only two governing members of the PAC-12 board. It provides that the other 10 schools are allowed discussion and comments, but no votes. Wow. Beeves went. Thieves win. Thieves win. Thieves, <laughs> and, Thieves and Cougs win. win. Thieves and Cougs win. Oh, baby. 503-417-7575. <laughs> the judges ordered that Washington State and Oregon State will be the only two governing members of the Pac-12 board. And the other 10 schools are allowed discussion and comments, but not votes. John Gonzano reporting that out of the courtroom in Colfax. Thieves and Cougs win. That's how I'm reading that for now, of course, as uh, more information comes out. We will uh, we will relay it to you, but here at uh, 4.41 p.m. and a, a few minutes before that, out of Colfax, Washington, it looks like Washington State and Oregon State get the governing control that they were looking for of the future of the conference. Big-time stuff and a big win in the courtroom for the Beavs and Cougs and their futures moving forward, and maybe now we can get – this uh, clarity and uh and get a little bit more positive momentum going for the futures of those two schools and Jonathan Smith as well we'll bounce a break and come back we'll keep talking about this news with Wazoo and Oregon State looking victorious in the courtroom today give you another chance to win WWE raw tickets it's Nubian and Vaughn in for Konzano on this Tuesday on the Baldface truth
4: you've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: I grew up where conduct spoke louder than words. I mean, that's how my parents treated me, and that's how I treated my children when they would growing up, is that conduct... Is what counts, and words don't so much. What you do, how you, what you do, and how you do it, is what counts in life. Not what you say you're going to do, not what you say you're not going to do. So, with that in mind, this court uh, finds in favor that the plaintiffs have are likely to prevail on their interpretation of the bylaws the party's prior course of conduct uniformly supports the plaintiffs and the plaintiffs will suffer irreparable harm without the preliminary injunction now with the preliminary injunction in effect that will be in effect I'm going to order that the WSU and Oregon State will be the only two governing members of the board but if they hold but for any future meetings or conferences between OSU and WSU, they will notify the other uh, 10 schools. They will put forth an agenda. The other 10 schools may participate in the sense of making comments, suggestions, or objections. But the ultimate voting will be by the remaining two board members.
1: That audio was just moments ago inside the courtroom in uh, Colfax, Washington. The judge, the honorable judge. Gary Leiby, ruling in favor of Oregon State and Washington State to be the lone two governing members of the Pac-12 board. Big win in the courtroom for the Beavs and the Cougs. Um, A lot of money at stake in that. A uh, uh, Clarity received in that. Um, Comfort in knowing that while you're being left behind, at least you've got some agency now about your future. And with that agency comes urgency. Hit the ground running. You've got to figure some stuff out about your future, and you've got to figure it out now. But you're only able to do that on this 14th of November, this Tuesday, because Judge Gary Leiby rules in favor of the plaintiffs, saying that they will be the only two governing members of the PAC-12 board moving forward. So that's great. Um, Got that from John Cazano, and uh, John will be back in the chair tomorrow to break down even further what it all means. Uh, want to continue to take your calls in reaction to that if you got them. If you want to talk coaching, uh, hierarchy, and rankings like we've been doing throughout the show, you can at 503-417-7575. You can also line up now to win tickets or have a chance to win another pair of tickets to WWE Raw at Moda Center in January. I'll tee you up with another clue at 503-417-7575. First, let's go out to Eugene. Cam is in Eugene on line five. Hey, Cam.
11: Hey, guys. <clears throat> Thanks for taking the call. Real sorry to hear about Chip Kelly. I'm reminded of Jeff Tedford up in Cal where he got them winning a few games, and they got hungry to win some more games, and they turned around and fired the best coach they ever had. And uh, they've been building back from that ever since, and I think when UCLA wakes up next season and they're 2-10, and 10, they'll understand what they did wrong. I can't really compare the three coaches. Uh, that you asked about earlier because two of them are unfinished products. I think Washington's the only coach that is who he is. The other two are growing too much. But what I really called mm-hmm. for was to talk about the chaos angle because I have concerns. Um, you saw, when we saw the playoff rankings come out, and I hate to say nice things about the University of Washington as a Duck fan, but there had always been an argument when a school got left out. It was because, hey – these other schools who got included in the top four, they had stronger schedules. They had uh, stronger conferences. Well, now here we are and the Pac-12 is the strong conference, and Washington is five and Oregon is six, and none of that matters. Uh, and so if you look at the chaos scenario, if we end up in a world where we've got a bunch of one-loss teams and one or two teams got to be left out, isn't it kind of easier if you leave out the conference that isn't going to be around next year? Doesn't that kind of make it easier? Kind of worried about that because we're already seeing some different metrics and different measurements than we've seen from the playoff committee previously. And it just looks like maybe it's just going to be whatever it has to be. So the right teams get in. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm worried about. So
1: to that point, like, it's not like the schools are going away. The They still need the brand of Oregon and the brand of Washington. Like, that's why you have a bigger brand than your conference and the Ducks have a bigger brand than the conference and UW's got a bigger brand than the conference. Like because the conference is going away, doesn't make Oregon any less appealing for the, uh, the playoff or Washington for that matter. Um, it not at all. In fact, it's the opposite in my mind. Hey, these guys that are about to go to the big 10, let's see how they do on the big stage. Right? It does the opposite. So no, I'm not concerned about that. But I am a little concerned or at least intrigued about the pileup that could happen if Alabama runs the table. Alabama's already won the SEC East, or West, I should say, and they're going to be in Atlanta. If they um, run the table prior to that and beat Georgia, presumably, in the SEC championship game, that's a one-loss SEC champ. What if Texas does the same, runs the table in the Big 12, they're a one-loss Big 12 champion. Oh, and by the way, they beat Alabama in a true road game. So you got to have, you know, you got that. Oh, then what do you do with Oregon, a one-loss Pac-12 champion? Oh, oh, there's an undefeated Big 10 champion in there, too. What do you do with one-loss Georgia at that point? That's been, what do you do with one-loss Ohio State that or Michigan, whoever loses that game? That, you know, to me, there's a version of that that could get chaotic. But at the end of the day, Stephen, I still think a one-loss Pac-12 champion especially if it's Oregon, is going to make it to the playoff at the end of the day. But it, it might get hairy. I think so, too. I, I think a one-loss Oregon gets in, but you're right.
6: It's not crazy to think Alabama beats Georgia. It, it, that spread's already out. It's a three, three-and-a-half-point spread. Like it, it, It's not a huge upset if Alabama were to beat Georgia. So uh, you're right on. A lot to be had here in the last couple of weeks here for college football.
1: Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Uh, let's give away some more uh, WWE tickets uh, if you got them. Let's go out to Chris in Vancouver on line two. Uh I had a really good trivia question. And now with all this uh this Pac twelve Beavers cougs news, it's starting to escape me a little bit, but um, but I can come up with it. I can come up with it. Oh, uh I've got uh I've got this one. Um tell me the name of the uh wide receiver that caught the game winning touchdown pass from Vernon Adams at Arizona State in the infamous twenty fifteen game.
5: <laughs> Holy cow! You're bringing me back a little bit. I thought it was going to be WWE trivia.
1: <laughs> it probably should be, but I'm not a WWE guy, so I'm going back to to my room. Here, I'll put you on hold, Chris, because uh, we're up against the break. We'll take you again, and anybody else that wants to line up at 503-417-7575, Want to send you to see some wrestling in January, but you got to win some duck trivia to do it. You know, Stephen, I didn't. I didn't check with you before the show. How are we doing the 5 at 5 today? <laughs> I assumed Nana was going to do it. but Yeah, uh, I'll
6: get it on the horn here. Call yeah. her up. Uh, no, yeah, I, I can get it. Just uh, let me we'll, we'll we'll put it together. Together.
1: We'll tag team it. Yeah. We'll go back and forth. In fact, if the listeners uh, want to submit anything, <laughs> they can at 503-417-7575. Been so uh, all over the place today. It's been an amazing, amazing show. The breaking news out of Colfax, Washington from Judge Gary Libby Ruling. In favor of the plaintiffs, Oregon State and Washington State, to be the lone governing members of the Pac-12 Board of Governors going forward. He did say that, hey, Oregon State, Washington State, you guys have the lone votes. But if you do anything, you have to have a meeting. You have to share your agenda with the other 10 schools. You've got to give them the opportunity to have discussions and raise questions and make their points. But you guys get to have the votes at the end of the day. And just you guys. Oregon State, Washington State. This is going to be so fun when Oregon State raises their hand and says, Hey, we want to have a meeting about uh, the future of this co- this here conference. Rob Mullins. Uh, what's his name? John Carl Schultz. Why don't you guys come in here? You know, Anne-Marie Kasse. Come in here, Utah. You guys come in here. Let's have a meeting. You know it would be funny if... Uh, attendance was mandatory for that, (laughs) and not optional. That that way, everybody in the conference has to show up for this, and then Oregon State, Washington State just shoves it in their faces. Does anybody have anything to add? (laughs) No, no, nobody. Euler. And they just, uh, you know, speak now or forever hold your peace. And if you do speak now, it don't matter, because we got the only votes. Oh, it's great. I'm glad. I'm really glad for Oregon State in that regard. I uh, can't wait for John Gonzalez to to break more of that down. Okay, so giving away some WWE Raw tickets. Uh, we'll do it again at 5:45 in our final segment. The question was the 2015 infamous game down in Tempe, the Oregon Ducks, the Arizona State Sun Devils. I remember this game so well because. Um, I think we had it on our air at the time. It was the same night as a Portland Timbers playoff game that also goes into the annals of history as being one of the craziest soccer playoff games ever, the infamous double post game with Kansas City. And uh, Oregon ASU was the same night. Vernon Adams Jr. was the quarterback running the show. Who was the receiver that made the ridiculous catch in triple overtime to uh, help win that game for the Oregon Ducks? We'll go back to Chris in Vancouver with his hey guys, chance I to got win
5: you. it. I put my brain from WWE mode. I'm back into college football. I believe that would have been Dwayne Stanford for the win.
1: All right, was it Dwayne Stanford? A survey says. Uh... Uh... <laughs> oh, great guess though, Dwayne Stanford, underrated, uh, underrated duck, underrated duck. Um, but no, it was not, it was not Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Stanford. Uh, let's go out to, uh, line one, uh, Nick on line one, Nick, what's your answer?
8: Oh, you know, it's gotta be my man, Braylon Addison for the win.
1: <laughs> yes. Braylon Addison. Congrats, man. Uh, are you a big duck fan? <laughs> uh, you, you you can kind of say that
11: that's uh you know I, I might have some experience with this question
1: who are you taking to uh wwe raw in january
11: i'm not sure yet but it's around my nephew's birthday i'd like to take my mm-hmm. nephew
1: mm-hmm. love that love that uh well hey congrats man appreciate it if uh uh uh, we'll have another chance to give away some WWE tickets uh, within the hour. So if you didn't win now, you'll get another trivia question at 545. I feel like that was, a, that was a good one. Do you remember that game, Steven? That Ducks-ASU game? That was absolutely wild. I can't. I could not tell you pretty much anything that happened
6: yesterday. So,
1: no, I couldn't have. Was it Mike Bercovici? I can't remember who was the quarterback at ASU. But, Nick, stay on hold. We'll get some info from you. And uh, and uh, you'll, we'll send you on your way to WWE. <laughs> uh, that was a lot of fun. Braylon Addison scored on a 20-yard pass in the third overtime of a play upheld by Review. And Arian Springs made a late interception as well, lifting Oregon to a 61-55 win over Arizona State. Uh, more box score checking on that. It was Mike Bercovici for Arizona State and, uh, of course, Sir Vernon Adams throwing for 315, four tutties, one interception. Royce Freeman went for 110 yards that day. Uh, Darren Carrington had 107 yards and a touchdown. And Braylon Addison had one touchdown as well. The uh the ultimate game winner, triple OT at Arizona State. So uh congrats to Nick for that. And you'll have a chance to uh to win uh more tickets as well uh later on this hour to WWE Raw. Uh, Rob's been holding in Tigard. he's got a question about the Pac twelve. Hey Rob.
5: Hey, so I'm really curious, you know, we talk about Kakakloff or whatever his name is, how he ruined the Pac twelve. <laughs> Who who's gonna be making these key decisions and negotiating tactics with the Beavers and the Kooks when they go out looking for media rights deals, when they're negotiating schedules? Is it just the two school presidents? Is there going to be some consultant who comes in and has an effective strategy? And then what is that strategy? Are they trying to stay as a power five? Are they going to be the rebranded Mountain West? Like, where do they go from here? And, like, who who's going to carry that torch?
1: It's a great question, Rob. I've been thinking the same thing. So two things on that. Number one, thank God we can, out, we can ask that question with a degree of uh, practicality now because we can move forward with this whole thing. That's number one. Thank goodness we could actually start to solve this question. Number two, here's what I think is going to happen. Um, George Klyovkov ain't going to be it. The re, John brought it up on yesterday's show, and the attorney guest we had on yesterday's show, Matthew Wand, broke this down in just very um, palatable uh, uh, detail. George Klyovkov wanted the other 10 schools to remain on the Board of Governors because it probably impacted... His uh, severance, he's going to get fired if he's not already. He's going to get fired. So it won't be George Kleofkoff, and his severance is probably going to be markedly less or at least different with just the two remaining schools than the full 10. I could be wrong on that, but that's what we were talking about on the show yesterday with the guests, and that's what I'm kind of reading. It's like, what incentive did George Kleofkoff have? To want to keep the remaining, you know, the other 10 departing schools on the board of governors. Like, what incentive was he had? And the attorney brought up, well, you know, I don't want to say it without saying it, but it probably impacts his severance play. I'm like, ding, that makes a lot of sense. So the fact that it's just Wazoo and Oregon State, I don't think Kleofkoff is happy about that. But guess what? They don't care for his ass either. So he's going to be gone. So you're right. There's a void there. Who's the liaison? Who's the consultant? Who's going to help somebody that's got to be in the know that knows a thing or two about how this works? Well, if you've been reading JohnCatano.com and been listening to the show the last couple of months, there is somebody out there. And he goes by the name of Oliver Luck, who has gone out and stuck his neck out to be on the consulting board of sorts, to be the consultant of Wazoo and Oregon State and the PAC-2. Could he be the possible commissioner of their future conference? Maybe. But at the very least, he is being paid to help them navigate these waters. And I couldn't imagine a better guy to do that. Canzano has met in person with Oliver Luck. And they've been talking a lot. He's come on the show. And I think he is now. Now it's Oliver Luck time to get in the batter's box and start swinging. So, one, thankful for that. He's been working on this for a while. And two, we can finally start talking about this because the Beavs and the Cougs have... Governing control of this year conference.
6: Well, I mean, I remember when it happened. It was kind of like, well, what is what's his role going to be in the conference when Oliver Luck came in? And it was all it was all upside. It was like, you know what? If Pac-12 is to survive, you know what? It can be uh, thanked to him. If it goes away, well, what can he do? He's not going to do anything. And I think you're right. I, I think he's a guy that will really vouch for the Pac-2 or the Tupac, whatever you want to do. I um, go
1: Tupac. I love
6: that. The Tupac is good. uh But you know, I, I think he's going to vouch for it and really. Come up with the best decision. You know, it, it can't be worse than what it was. This is, this is like the whole Dan Landing is he leaving situation. This one's different, right? You know, the Pac-12 has made so many bad choices in this in this lifetime. This one has to be different with all of her Luck. Now it's now that's the Pac-2 it can't get any worse. So I, I think right now, you know, obviously uh, Washington and the departing Pac-12 members are expected uh, to appeal the ruling with the uh, the ruling in the court case today. So there will be an appeals process, all that kind of good stuff. But good. Why? Come on! Because give up already? No, because they they see money and you want to get money as much as you can. I don't blame them for that, but it looks like Oregon State, Washington State, gonna get the dub on this one, and good for them. And I think right now we can finally start talking about what the next strategy is because I don't know what it is. I think you know John will be a better guy to talk about that when he starts talking to people and say what are they gonna do. You know, is it a Mountain West thing? Is it Oregon State just trying to stay stay alive until they can get a Big Twelve? Invite, I don't know, but we can now start talking about it, what we think it is, and I think it's great that it's
1: almost past—it's almost behind us, Judah, and we can look forward. Well, I think it's going to move fast, too, because— has to. Look, if they're the only voting members, they can reach out to the other institutions all they want and say, hey, we're having a meeting. You can show up. You can ask questions. You can uh, get your thoughts heard, but we're going to be voting on this stuff. Like— if there's an appeals process, can Oregon state and Washington state still have those voting meetings and just start voting? Like <laughs> like do they have to wait for the appeals process uh before they can they can vote? I mean, I guess they they would in theory you would think, but I don't know that for sure. And and maybe they uh maybe they want to get this thing rolling and start putting it into motion, um which I think would be a great thing. So, again, if you missed it, this was the sound uh, just about half hour ago from judge gary lieby when he finally came to his conclusion after about 3 hours of action in the courtroom
0: today i grew up where conduct spoke louder than words i mean that's how my parents treated me and that's how i treated my children when they were growing up is that conduct is what counts and words don't so much what you do how you what you do and how you do it is what counts in life, not what you say you're going to do, not what you say you're not going to do. So with that in mind, this court uh, finds in favor that the plaintiffs have, are likely to prevail on their interpretation of the bylaws. The party's prior course of conduct uniformly supports the plaintiffs, and the plaintiffs will suffer irreparable harm without the preliminary injunction. Now, with the preliminary injunction in effect, will be in effect i'm going to order that the wsu and oregon state will be the only two governing members of the board but if they hold but for any future meetings or conferences between osu and wsu they will notify the other uh, 10 schools they will put forth an agenda the other 10 schools may participate in the sense of making comments, suggestions, or objections. But the ultimate voting will be by the remaining two board members.
1: There's Judge Gary Leiby uh, ruling in favor of Oregon State and Washington State to be the lone uh, voting members of the PAC-12 Board of Governors. 503-417-7575 for any reaction on that. In the meantime, let's uh, do the 5 at 5, Stephen.
4: The 5 at 5.
1: I probably should have waited until I got these uh these sounders in place. Where are these sounders anyway? Do you know? No, I think Gonzalo has them under lock and key. Uh, so no one messes with them. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, uh number 1, Stephen, you uh you put together the five biggest stories. So what's number 1?
6: Yeah, number 1. So, uh we've talked about it a little bit, but on three sports, several different other publications are saying that Chip Kelly is expected to be fired by UCLA. Hmm. After the USC game. Now, UCLA, of course, they still have two games left on this season, I believe. Let me check it out. Yeah, they play uh, Arizona. No, they play USC, and that's it. So one more game this season uh, for UCLA. Expected to be fired after that game. Now, if they do that, uh, according to Kinzano in a text from him, $30 million he's still owed by UCLA. It would be interesting to see what they do there. But also, Deion Sanders at Colorado. He was asked about other jobs as well. He says he doesn't hear any of that. He doesn't hear any of the noise. It sounds like he wants to be back at Colorado next season. Uh, there's been some thought that Texas A&M may reach out to Dion. Yeah. Uh, it kind of makes sense, right, uh, if he does that. does that? But it seems like Dion says he's going to be staying, Chip Kelly going to be gone. What does that mean? Jonathan Smith, UCLA, someone else UCLA? Or is, uh, is Dion
1: on the way out, out as well? Well, it's just so funny how all this works with, you know, Chip's firing being reported in, like, the 4 o'clock hour. And then an hour later, Oregon State winning in court. So it's like within an hour span, you know, had that ruling gone against Oregon State and this thing drag out into the transfer portal uh, opening in December or later, then, yeah, I think Jonathan Smith to UCLA is definitely a thing. I don't see it right now at this point. I think there's too much hope and optimism around Oregon State um, winning in court today and what that means for piecing this thing together in their future that I think Jonathan Smith he might go for another job, but not right now. Not to UCLA. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna have to look a lot clearer of a picture in the next six weeks or so, in my opinion, for that to happen. Dion, I think Dion is going somewhere. Probably A and M. As long as Shadour is there,
6: I think well, Dion's in Colorado.
1: Shadour. Yeah, but Shadour could transfer too, right? I mean, well, I guess yeah. So that's the could thing. go to the NFL too. I don't. But Dion said he wasn't going to. Deon said that he's going to stay in school. Now, well, Deon
6: just said he's not leaving for A&M. Now you said he's already out the door. Well, you know,
1: I, I uh, you know, I pick and choose what I want to believe, Coach <laughs> Prime. Uh, that's for sure. By the way, I found the lock and key. Here we go.
8: Number two.
6: <laughs> you gotta hide those keys a little better. Yeah. Uh, so Judah, Monday night football last night was uh, quite the disaster oh for the Buffalo gosh. Bills. Uh, here's how it sounded when the Broncos were setting up for a game-winning field goal. Well, you just listen to Joe, uh, Joe Black and Troy Aikman. 41-yard try for the win. Lutz.
8: He missed it. But a flag
0: is down. 12 men on defense. Five-yard penalty.
6: Wow.
4: Field
0: fourth down.
4: There's nothing guaranteed. Good snap, good hold.
5: Kick. Perfect. And the Broncos have come to Buffalo, and they're going to leave with a win,
6: 24-22, to get to 4-5. and five. So the Broncos move to 4-5 and five with the win. Bills fall to 5-5 five and five in the aftermath. Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator of the Bills, fired from the team. Probably a little overdue in that case, but, you know, Josh Allen and the Bills' offense have been struggling. They had four turnovers last night. Um, you know, Buffalo five and five on the season on the outside of the playoffs right now, probably the right choice to fire Ken Dorsey, right? Uh,
1: no, I don't think so, actually. No. I think this is um, the wrong move by Buffalo. And that's not to say that Ken Dorsey was great, but, you know, he wasn't the the main problem. I, you know, James Cook just randomly fumbling for no reason. That's not the offensive coordinator's fault. Uh, Josh Allen throwing into random double teams because he wants to make a hero throw. That's not the only option on that play. I don't think that's Ken Dorsey's fault. Like, I saw Ken Dorsey make some adjustments throughout the season that I thought were made, made some sense. They started running the ball downhill a lot more. One of their touchdown drives yesterday, they literally ran the ball the entire time and scored a touchdown drive. They, they took the ball out of Josh Allen's hands, and it worked to take the lead. 12 men on the field on defense, that's not Ken Dorsey's fault. Uh, on, the, on the game-winning field goal. Um, I think there was some things to be worked out and, and still, but I don't think it was worth firing Ken Dorsey. But at the same time, someone, you know, heads heads are got to roll. And when you're the head coach running the defense, Leslie Frazier already left. So this is Sean McDermott's team. He he isn't going anywhere. So who's the next, you know, one to go? It's, it's Ken Dorsey. I mean to say, this isn't going to fix Buffalo's offense. E- even though, do you know who is taking over for Ken Dorsey? Who's that? Joe Brady. Mm. The infamous... LSU. 2019 LSU offensive coordinator who took Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and Justin Jefferson, and uh, Randy Moss's kid to New Heights. And then he went to the NFL and kind of flamed out with Matt Rule in Carolina. That didn't work. And, you know, Matt Rule probably not the guy you want to work with. But now Joe Brady gets another chance to call plays in the NFL. That I am excited about. How about your boy,
6: Russell Wilson? 18 touchdowns, four picks on the season. Not bad.
1: Yeah, but it's like – you guys are watching the games right like he's still as slow as molasses and i will give russ this high completion percentage and to your point just now not turning the football over and Cortland sutton is so boomer bust has that ridiculous toe tap on the side but one drop one fumble on the sideline and russell to russell's credit They kept spying him with a linebacker, and he kept baiting that linebacker to come and rush him near the line of scrimmage, and he would flip it to the running back. He must have done that five or six times. He basically turned into Chris Paul last night. You know how they say quarterbacks are point guards? Russell Wilson literally turned into Chris Paul last night, and he started playing two-man game with his running backs, optioning off the linebacker on straight dropbacks. It was kind of—it was interesting. It was amazing, but it was hardly this, like— slicing and dicing buffalo from the pocket no in fact he took a couple of sacks i'm like dude how slow are you even the touchdown to sutton the play fake and then this the, the backward spin i was like dude this looks like it's like i'm watching kyle anderson slow-mo play quarterback but we all love kyle anderson at least you love kyle anderson i know i know that <laughs> number three I, do love, I, I am rooting for Russell. I'm not rooting against him anymore, but he, he's not uh, balling out. He's not cooking like everybody wants to say today. Sure sounds like you're rooting for him, Judah. I'll tell you that much.
6: Um, <laughs> so baseball season is over, which means award season is starting. Uh, Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, unanimous rookie of the year. Is of course, Corbin Carroll from Washington, played with the Hops at one point, now with the Diamondbacks in the World Series. He was unanimous MVP, manager of the managers of the year in the American League, Brandon Hyde. Of the Orioles and Adley Butchman won the American League, beat out Bruce Bochy, who won the World Series. And then the NL, very close race, but Skip Shoemaker of the Miami Marlins. He won the NL Manager of the Year, beating out Craig Council and Brian Snitger of the Braves.
1: That's pretty cool. We'll we'll do something. I've got a thought on that. But I also want to make sure we uh, get Bruce Bartom. And I ran heavy after my Russell Wilson uh, slice and dice take. We'll uh, pick up that in numbers four and five after Barney. And then uh, give away some WWE tickets to round it out. The Portland State coach Bruce Barnum is uh, is coming up next. I would have just laughed though if Craig Council won. And he's now already the Chicago Cubs manager. <laughs> it's like, oh, great job for everything you did in, in Milwaukee, by the way, Craig. Um, you know, did you say hello to David Ross on your way out? Did you say thank David Ross in your victory speech for this, if you could. Bruce Barnum's next on the bold face truth. All right, welcome back to the show. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano, who is covering the uh, the court hearing in Colfax, Washington today. Judge Gary Libby ruling in favor of the plaintiffs, Oregon State and Washington State, to be uh, the lone governing members of the Pac-12 moving forward. Taking uh, your reaction on that and, uh, and all things college football. And, of course, at this time on Tuesdays, We talk with Bruce Barnum, the head football coach at Portland State University. They've got a finale in uh, Greeley, Colorado this Saturday at Northern Colorado, looking to end the season on a high note, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Kickoff for that one on Saturday on ESPN+. It's great to connect with you again, Coach. How are you on this Tuesday?
12: Hey, how you doing, Jude? Uh, So, what? Did I hear you right? It's it's the mighty Jude and the Von Meister?
1: (laughs) That is right. The producers told you it's the mighty Jude you and the Von him. Meister. How about that, Stephen? Jude and the Von Meister. <laughs> Jude and the Von Meister. You know, I like it. I can always count on you, Coach, for a good uh, kick-ass nickname. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm sure you know if I give you enough time and enough creative license, you'll come up with some great branding strategy for me. I, I appreciate that. Uh, the great, all the great play callers uh, can do that, and uh, and you're included yeah. in that. I, curious, you know. Obviously, you're in the midst of football season and all that. Were you paying attention at all to this Oregon State, Washington State stuff, or is it kind of out of sight, out of mind?
12: Oh, no, it's curiosity. It's affecting me. Right. You know, Um, while scheduling, Judah, think ahead now. I've got these people scheduled through 27, you know.
6: Yeah.
12: Um, I've got Washington State. I know for a fact next year. I mean, this is – how's it going to affect? How's it going to shake down? I've already switched the game from San Diego State Uh, To Boise, so I'm, you know, sitting back, seeing what they have to do, and with the contracts, that means I can ask for a little more to help my program. Mm -hmm. You know, hoping to get rid of all the money games, but maybe get rid of one. You know, in the future, if I can get enough money uh, from all this movement, so it's affecting me a little bit. I'm paying attention. um, You know, on Fridays, travel days, and Saturday mornings before the game.
1: So it's the the demise, as it were, of the conference. Is not good, um, but today's decision impacts you positively. Is that what I'm I'm gathering, at least from a scheduling well, standpoint?
12: Um, uh, yeah, but not as a, not as a college football coach. Right. I mean, the Pac-12 and what's going on in college football. Uh, I think the next step is needed now. Um, I mean, but take it all over, make a super conference, uh, make scheduling that makes sense. You know, geographically. Um, that would be pretty cool, you know, but what they have going now, I think, is a band-aid, you know, chasing the doll hair, and it, it's a mess. And to have the Pac-12 uh, disappear like it is, you know, I'm a Pac-10 guy. You know? I, I, that, that, that's the conference of the West Coast. Now it's good.
6: Coach, I was going to ask you, um, how difficult do you think it is going to be for teams like. Oregon and Washington and Stanford and Calvin have to travel all the way to the East coast just for one conference game. Is that going to be a big effect in football since it is just one game a week
10: or uh,
6: is it going to be not as hard as we kind of making it out to be?
3: Well,
12: I, yeah, I think it's going to affect it. I'm curious what time the game is going to be. I mean, if I'm playing, <clears throat> say I'm playing Oregon on the East coast, you know, I'm, I'm going to schedule that for a, you know, hey, let's have a nine a.m. or well, let's get that early game. You know, uh, six a.m. I mean, uh, there's so many logistics uh, that I'm curious to see. You know, but you have to look further too. Um, it affects a lot of sports. You know, that don't just play once a week. Um, if I'm if I'm correct, I, I think it's everybody. It's every sport at the school, right? Yeah. <laughs> You know, three baseball games and you play on a Tuesday back home. And I mean, who's scheduling those games? You know, what time are they? Where are they? Are we talking neutral sites? I mean, uh, if I'm right now, I'm grabbing, I'm calling Judah and my man, Steven and saying, Hey, let's build a kick-ass stadium right in the middle of the United States. And that'll be our neutral site. we we'll get all these schools to play at our place, you know, but there's so much that can come in here from the fringes. No idea where this is going.
1: Man. You know, it's almost, it's almost better to be in the big sky sometimes than to deal with the headaches of <laughs> big football. Is that crazy? <laughs> well,
12: and that's why losing the Pac-12, I mean, honestly, I mean, when I heard that, that was a, a shock just as a football fan
1: you
6: know
1: yeah it's uh it's super rough do you uh did you root for somebody growing up coaching in college football or or when even if not that like what what is a top memory of yours with the the Pac-10 conference if we can get a little sentimental here
12: well let's not we can't really go Pac-10 yet because as a kid um you know my dad was in the service we we're moving mm-hmm. around and when i knew If it was pumped or stuffed at that age when I could, you know, realize what was going on, we were in Mobile, Alabama. So I'll never forget, you know, my dad took us to the Senior Bowl. I walked up, got red Grangers out. I saw these guys, you know, I just started to stick my foot in the water. And then uh, I remember my dad had two tickets. He called my brother and I in, uh, and we flipped a coin. Uh, to see who was going the game with Pops. And I, and, and I went to Alabama Auburn, and I remember Bear Bryant, you know, walking up and down the sideline dressed with that hat. The You know, I'm just, wow, you know, this is pretty cool in the atmosphere. Uh, I remember I bought a souvenir, bought an uh, Alabama license plate. <laughs> um, you know, just a trinket. I still have that in, in the garage. So that was my first memory of college
10: football.
1: Man, it's uh, it's great, and It's it's worthwhile to uh, remember some of those memories because sports changed a lot, Coach, uh, over the oh, years. Boy. I know I don't have to tell you that. Um, but Auburn, Alabama, what a what a great great memory that is. I got another question for you here, like, and this is just more of a fan looking at the game of football. I see a guy like Bill Belichick, who is a renowned genius. You know, he, he won the six Super Bowls with New England. You know, he ran one of the greatest defenses with Lawrence Taylor and the Giants before that and now the Pats are terrible and everybody's calling Belichick into question. Obviously there's a Tom Brady element to it and maybe it's that simple, but what what do fans not see about the dynamics of coaching and teams that is is kind of below the surface? Like, it can't be as simple as Bill Belichick just lost his fastball, right? I mean, did the game pass him by, or what's going on there with coaches that can achieve, you know, great things, and then all of a sudden, they just they just seem to lose it?
12: Uh, a lot that goes into that question, obviously. You know, on the surface, you made me think of, you know, who's, who's surviving what you just said, and there's very few, if you think about it, mm-hmm. uh, Nick Saban, you know. Uh, jumping to college, um, and, and you can go through legendary coaches but that never got that mantra. But I say in this profession, they're going to love you and they're going to hate you, and it, it's just inevitable, you know. Um, there are those that win all the time, but there's so much that goes into that, resources, people around you, you know, recruiting and who who's playing for you. Uh, the culture you build, and uh, so much that goes into them. So you see the guys, you know, on the top of the pile, uh, they have a lot, you know. People are calling for saving Alabama, you know, Alabama hasn't won every game this year, you know. So, you know, I guarantee you there's somebody out there, you know, doubting what he's doing, you know. What do you mean you lost? You lost to Texas? Are you kidding me? Um, so it's just the profession. Um, it, it's a love hate. What have you done for me lately, in my opinion?
6: Yeah. And speaking of, uh, what have you done for me lately, uh, coach, coming off the loss to Montana, now you're looking at Northern Colorado, who is 0 and 10 on the season. Um, you know, how do you, how do you keep your guys motivated for that type of game, knowing that you <laughs> should be, you should outmatch that team, right? Like you should go into that. Hey, how, do you, how do you keep it going?
12: I hope you, I hope you're not mojoing me, Judah.
6: Um, was no, Steve? How's you? No, no, no. Um <laughs> I'm just trying to put you on the spot here. We address
12: Coach. it. We address it because it's out there. This is a tough conference, and if you look at it, there's only one team uh, that has blown this team out. You know, Montana's the only team they beat them forty to zero. All the other ones, Idaho. Idaho's a ranked team in the top five. Uh, fourth quarter with like six minutes to go, they're only up by four. You know, they throw a pick six, or a pick in the fourth quarter. Uh, luckily, their defense stops them and holds them to three. So, you know, you look at it. Uh, I know Ed Lamb. Their head coach's name is Ed Lamb. He was at Southern Utah. I've seen him through the profession. He's at BYU. He's a, uh, He's a competitor, and he's a hell of a coach, you know. So what do you do? You go there, weather the storm. That's how we're talking about it, and then make sure they they know, you know. Once that's over, that we're the damn storm coming to town, and let's make sure uh, we play a clean, hard, you know, sixty minutes of football. Yeah. But it makes you nervous. I mean, always does.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd seen your night over the weekend too. Uh, just what did your senior class mean to you this year? And I know you said last week is like it's tough to have that commemoration like right before kickoff. That's that's tough to deal with that emotion right at the beginning of a big game. Um, but uh, what did your seniors mean to you this year at Portland State?
12: Uh, but, you know, it, it, that's why I do it. You know, it, I try to get uh, uh, young men to come in. This might sound you know sappy ass, but it's true. I think it's cool um, trying to prep people for their future, you know, and to be successful. And then to see them leave, you know, rite a passage. Last college football game for the majority of them. You know, a college ending, in, entering the, quote, real world. Um, so uh, I love every one of them, you know, uh, seeing where they're at. It, it's emotional. And here's one for you that people think, wow, this guy's a soft you know, jackass. The hardest thing for me to do on senior night at the game is they have all those damn cameras clicking in front of you, and you look at these student athletes and their families, and you have, you know, flashes. I had 11 walked through. It's hard not to drop a tear, you know, of not of sadness, of just, wow. Um, I've fought that more than once. I probably shouldn't be say that. I could say to say, yeah, right, Mr. Toughass. But that's hard. I mean, it's an emotional time.
1: I can imagine. I, I, I can imagine for sure. Um, Dan Landon came on the show last week and said that he was starting to, like, he manages his diet a little differently in season, or at least not for the full season, but at least he, he said he was going a little bit more lean. Isn't that what he said, Stephen? Yeah, he wanted to, you know, trying to lose a little weight. Is, is, can you even think about that when you're in season? Like, if it was me, if I was in season, man, I'd just be eating every anything and everything around me. Like, I'm not, I'm not worried about staying in shape. Uh, uh, where, where do you come out on that, Coach?
12: Well, if you, you, you know, you've seen me, Judah. Um, I'm the guy that might, you know, take a sample of everything we eat, and there are a lot of meals. Oh. and so, and I don't know, I don't know. I, I, told you guys a while back. I met Coach Lanning just this summer. I couldn't tell if he's in shape. You know, I I don't know if he's a in shape guy or a skinny fat guy. It's so, big, you know? it's so
1: weird. It's so weird because like we've got, you know, licenses to like associated press images and getty images. And I'll look at pictures of Coach Lanning and depending on one of the angles, I'm like, dude, that guy's got a tummy. Like for sure. He's got a little bump going on here. And then I'll look at him and be like, "Dude, this guy's like macho football guy." I can't figure it out either, Coach. I honestly can't. I was hoping you would know.
12: <laughs> oh no, I, I, I'm with all the things in front of you. You know, today's the day I talk to me on Tuesdays. I just make sure I say I'm the camera guy, and I say, "Hey, love you." Here, here's a hat. And I said, Let, "Let's keep that camera shot." You know, uh, so nobody, not everybody in America. If, you know, knows Barnum might have a, a couple extra lbs.
1: It's uh, you're right. Angles is it's all about the angles. Angles is it everything. is angle of the dangle. Hey, you got, you totally got that. Uh, last thing for me, you know, with the, we've got big games with uh, the Huskies coming to Reaser, and then uh, Civil War after that. Uh, you always give these great insights because you have played a lot of these teams and you've seen them on film and you've seen the competition. How do you size up? Oregon State, and, and UW as they get ready to meet on Saturday.
12: They're this weekend? They're this weekend, 430 ABC. Where? Okay, you said it's at Reser. Correct. Okay, that's a tough one. I mean, you got a quarterback um, and a receiver uh, and a pretty good football team that's, you know, as I think people have say have sputtered at times, but... University of Washington is a talented football team, you know, um, and that guy's record, DeBoer's record, speaks for itself everywhere he's been. But then come down to Smittyland, right? Um, You got Free Potato Salad. You got a stadium named after it. Mm -hmm. And you got it. I think one of the toughest, Smitty, Mahalchek, and the boys
11: Mm -hmm.
12: have built one of the toughest teams. Um, I've seen, I, I don't know if he uses that as his mantra, but they're going to run the football. They're going to strike you, um, and they're going to wear you down. So um, that, that's a heck of a matchup. You know, I, I haven't gone one where I didn't even know they were playing. Having it at Research, yep. Um, I think will be a, a bonus uh, for Oregon State because um, it's easy. And you say ABC, that's the big TV, right? That's not ESPN Plus or Netflix. So um, that's a big deal. That's a big game for them. Uh, Smitty, Smitty is, is a smart coach. You know he doesn't act like it. He actually sits in the back and pays attention. And you know and he's a skinny fat guy. You know
11: he if you t- look
12: at him, yeah, you he's kind this. of a skinny fat guy. I don't know if he works out, but he's skinny. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so that'll be a good matchup. What's the line on it?
1: So it opened U Dub minus. Two, I think, and it's since swung through zero. And Oregon State is a one-and-a-half point favorite, maybe minus two in some places.
12: I got you. Well, you got to take the stadium, man. You got you it. You got to take the stadium. Yeah. Brand new, everything. Somebody's going to win that one. Man,
1: ah, it's uh, I'm fired up. You guys, I remember you guys. You guys nearly beat Gary uh, down there a few years I,
12: ago. Yeah, you know, I, we were talking about that game the other day. I missed, what, two or three points? PATs. I missed a field goal. I think we lost by two. We had a little walk-on kicker from the Tiny Town. And after the second one, I came up. I said, kid, I can't get you any closer than that. <laughs> I mean, you're in the middle. You get the three. I mean, shit. It's a team game. You get three in the yellow sticks, I'm going to punch you in the neck. And then, so I missed the next one. I had to pull him.
1: <sighs> you haven't heard from Gary at all, have you? Just curious. I'm no, yep.
12: no. I mean, I, I think the last I talked to him was
6: there uh, yep. after that game.
12: I think that's the last time anyone
1: talked to him. like almost the last time anyone <laughs> talked to him. Hey, we appreciate you, Coach. Um, we look forward to having you back on with John uh, next week, uh, wrapping up the season and maybe talking a little Thanksgiving and, and all that good stuff. But um, you're the best and really appreciate you taking the time.
12: No, Judah, Stephen, thanks. I'll talk to you guys.
1: There he is. It's Bruce Barnum, head coach of Portland State football. Uh, We'll bounce a break and come back. We'll give away another pair of WWE Raw tickets and take more of your calls on the other side. Newbie and Vaughn wrapping things up on The Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. You can line up now for a chance to win our final pair of WWE Raw tickets at 503-417-7575. Just had Bruce Barnum on. Also talking about the Oregon State-Washington State victory in the courtroom in Colfax today. And John Canzano will break it all down on uh, his show uh, tomorrow. Meanwhile, uh, college football playoff rankings set to come out at 6 o'clock as well right after we sign off. Let's go to line two. Sam is in Portland. He wants to offer a thought on Portland State. Hey, Sam.
3: Hey, you know, I've been listening to you guys for a long time and, I, and as a Viking uh, graduate and alumni, I appreciate the fact that you give Portland State Vikings and football a platform and to come on here, but I feel like it's a love fest and, and I would love to one day, maybe next week, and, and I'll communicate this to John as well, I one just one time I'd love to ask you to ask Barnum, hey coach, this will be your eighth season in a row with a losing record, never better than five and six. You've had a 15-game losing streak, you were 0-11, you had an inappropriate relationship with a subordinate for which you were disciplined. Why should alumni and fans of Portland State Viking football still believe in you to get us to a winning season, let alone a Big Sky championship and a playoff? And I'd ask you guys, tell me, why should I still believe in Portland State football?
1: Eight years ago, I spent a Saturday in December going to two small college, I would say, playoff games. I'm from McMinnville. I went to a Linfield playoff game. I drove that night from the house that Ad Adrushman built to uh, Providence Park, and I watched Northern Iowa and Portland State in a playoff game. 2015. And I remember thinking, this is so freaking cool. Portland State, one of the FCS powers, and uh, or at least you know playoff teams on the upside. They did not win that game. Um, I think this was a little bit after David Johnson was at Northern Iowa. So I think it was his, you know, his successor, the running back at Northern Iowa, but they ran the hell out of the football and they ran the hell out of the football that night and they won the game. But it was so cool to see Portland state in the playoffs and at Providence park in a great atmosphere. And I was like, well, the good thing is, is that they got Bruce Barnum because this guy is, you know, he's the real deal. Now, I've got it. When you're in the chair and you're hosting, you got to have full disclosure. Like I'm friends with the guy. I've had a lot of interactions with with Bruce Barnum outside of this radio show. I know his kids. Uh, I know his his oldest son uh, pretty well. Played baseball at Wazoo. Played baseball uh, on a team that I called play-by-play for. Um, I, I know Barney, and uh, so I might not be like in the position right now to be like, "Hey, coach, why are you winning more?" You know what I'm saying. I don't necessarily think that that's an unfair question, though, because you put on the objective hat, you gotta win ball games at any level. I asked him the question about Belichick, and you know, I I don't for for Portland State, like it's totally different stakes and different different playing you know levels. But you heard Barney say it. he's like, look, at the end of the day, like people are gonna love you or they're gonna hate you. I just think the the relevance with PSU people say, calling in to say gold your feet to the fire. I'm like, really? Like people care that much? That's great because they need people to care. But here's the other thing. It's not going to be fans or media um you know dri- driving a coaching change there. It's going to be the new president. It's going to be the new president that apparently has, you know, has some skin in the game and cares about athletics and and knows what's going on on the park blocks and is fully engaged like and and Barney knows that. He knows that. He knows it's a freaking blessing to have an engaged president. But it also comes with, all right, you've got an engaged president. Like she cares. She she wants to know if things are successful and if they're not, why aren't they? So I think that's gonna, you know, be unveiled as well. And yeah, of course, like they got to get a win this weekend. They got to get to 500 in conference play, and uh, and you know they'll still be under 500 for the uh, for the season, but. Yeah, there's definitely you know some urgency on PSU to start to win and get above 500 and get back into the playoffs. Um, gosh, I don't even have a trivia question. We're in the final minute of the radio show. Uh, do you got a good trivia question, Stephen? I don't really have a, I have a good one. Here we got a couple people on hold. I will just say, hey, uh, both of you. You, you win a pair of tickets because we got that many tickets to give away. Both of you guys win, so stay on hold, Andy and Chuck, and we'll uh, we'll get some information from you as we uh, sign off the show here coming up. Steven, it was good stuff, man. Appreciate you as always. Great stuff, man. A lot of fun and uh, a lot of stuff to talk about. So John will be back tomorrow, though, and uh,
6: we'll be j- piping in with our stuff as well. But what a day.
1: Playoff rankings come out at 6. Uh, Kinzano back in the chair tomorrow. He'll be at Killer Burger in Westland on Friday as well, so plan accordingly to come uh, say hi to him. On Friday's live radio show at the Killer Burger in West Lynn, we'll have a lot of uh, cool promotional things going on for that as well. For Bruce Barnum, TJ Matheson, thanks to them for joining us. And Stephen Vaughn, I'm Judah Newby. We'll talk to you tomorrow.